It's not, it's not all your fault. It's mostly my fault. <laughs> hey man, how have you been? How's life? How's things? Yeah, pretty good. I burned myself pretty badly. Um, oh. Right here, as you can see from these band-aids that are... It's not even covering the full... It's because it's, it's, it's quite a large burn, you see. I was see? say. I was... Uh, I was steaming a wig and I dropped my steamer just on my arm. So Jesus it's got like the little footprint of the steamer like wand bit. Oh, that's kind of funny actually. It, and I was like, oh, it's gonna scar kind of cute. Like, yeah. that would be kind of fun. And uh, I took a picture and sent it to my sister to be like, look at my gross burn, because it was like day three. I was like, ooh, look a little weird. Yeah. She's a nurse, maybe. I'll just... <laughs> and she's like, you should go to a hospital. I was like, nah. Yeah, it's like, why that. did I ask? Yeah, <laughs> why did you ask? If you were just gonna be like, I just wanted to shoot it. Ride this out. I hope you don't lose the arm. Well, I'm a little bit worried, but it's not hot like they say infections are. Oh. I'm not, I'll show it to you later. You want to see it now? Yeah, I want to blindly okay. react. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Uh, it's not as, like, gruesome as it was. Okay, that's good. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. That's gross. Really? That's not that you're bad. You're missing, like, a divot. Like, you're not. Fine. There's another one down there. Oh, okay, perfect. That's fine. It's even well, though. Now my band-aids aren't going to fall flat. What I've done for you here. <laughs> and if the thing too is no one's ever going to be able to see what that burn looks like. I'm going to take a picture and put it on Instagram. Oh, you should. Oh, yeah, we have an Instagram now. That's exciting news. Yeah, That's... do you want to tell them what it is? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Stephen Queen's Pod is the Instagram. We should also get a Twitter. I'll make a Twitter. Oh, are you, you're on social media. Yeah, That's, I'll, that's I'll your baby. I'll make the social media. I have had a burner social, like Instagram account tied to my main account for probably years that's just been, like, various, like, this is where I post ugly quarantine food. This is, like, a work in progress Instagram. Ugly quarantine food. Food. Sorry, food. I, like, fell, I fell over my words there. Sorry. I'm having a day. <laughs> Don't need to apologize to me. I had another disastrous retail experience as I arrived at Spencer's house because I am fucking cursed with shopping right now. <laughs> and it is just, I, I ordered a blazer. They don't care. I ordered a blazer online. And, and a skirt set. If you're going to tell it, tell it right. I bought a blazer and a skirt. It's a set. It's meant to be worn as a set. And they sent me a completely different fucking item. They sent me a skirt and a dress, which is not a set of in anyone's fucking They don't even match. They don't look like, they look like shit. The dress is the ugliest fucking thing I've ever seen in my goddamn life. I, anyway, I had to call customer service, and it was just, they were really helpful. Whatever. I'm going to get my blazer, but it's going to probably take, like, another two weeks. And I'm trying to have a hot girl summer, and I would like to have a slutty little fucking blazer and linen skirt set that I could wear so I could look good. Is that too much to fucking ask for? And welcome to Stephen Queen's The welcome. Stephen King Podcast. <laughs> Where every week Megan has something to yell about retail-wise. For somebody who works in retail, you really have bad luck in ordering things retail-wise. I, this is why I don't believe in online shopping. I just yep. don't. I, I, if you can't go into a store, you shouldn't buy it. Well, I mean, that is how you feel. I know, because I'm a bad shopper. 
and I, I don't like any shopping period, so I'll go and buy, like, a pair of jeans or something mm. and not try them on, only to have you scream at me every time. <laughs> you'd think you'd be used to it now. We've known each other for quite some time. Uh, anyway, that's Megan. She's the one with all the problems. Oh, man, I do have quite a few problems. This is um, Spencer slash Penny Martini, which is a polarizing introduction. I, I have know, learned. I People know. People are mad about that. I guess I should apologize, but also I don't, I don't want to. Well, I mean, you shouldn't, but... <laughs> I get that it's confusing. I'm just trying to brand myself properly. You know how it is. You, you know, well, with all your different personas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Megan. Megan McLean. Megan M. McLean. <laughs> really? Mm. <laughs> okay, Spencer by day, Penny Martini by drag queen. We're one and the same. I don't know how to explain it. It's not that difficult a concept. It's not. I, I agree with you. I don't think it's that difficult. But, but like I said, people are mad. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just Listen, telling you what the people are pop saying. pop off in the comments. I can take it. Do we have any Stephen King news? Because I have Stephen King news. Do you want to go first? Because okay. I have... Okay, you go first. Well, go my first. news is news that you shared with me, but it's also, I think, really topical right okay. now. Yeah. Because it's about how Zac Efron is going to oh. be in Toronto filming Firestarters. Yes! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's going to be here all summer. And also topical, because did you see his... His face? What about it? It's weird now. What do you mean? You didn't see? No. What the fuck, Spencer? You didn't see Zac Efron's face? What do you... It's, you'll know when I Did show you. Did he, like, you. he got, like, work done? Well, we don't know for sure if he got work done. Is this gonna be, like, Lil' Kim? I don't know what you mean by that. Lil' Kim got a bunch of work done, now she looks like a different person. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Zac Efron got work done. Allegedly got work done. Okay. And he does look like a... I'm just gonna show you the photo. Is he, like, a... Look at his jaw. Wait. Yeah. Are these both? Those are both Zac Efron. But are they both new Zac Efron? No, no, no. That's old Zac Efron. That's new Zac Efron. Look at his jaw. Okay. Yeah, it definitely looks like he had his face squared. And he's so puffy. I mean, maybe he just fell off the wagon. Oh. Does Zac Efron have a drinking problem? Uh, he was addicted to blow for a while. He went oh, to fuck. rehab. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. It, to me, he just looks a little like... N Sorry, Zach, if you're listening. N no offense, Matt. I personally have had my own experience with booze bloat, and I know how much it sucks. But that's what it looks like to me. I don't think he's had work done, necessarily. Really? I bet, I or no more work than any sort jaw has. is so, like... It's like they added a whole jaw? extra jaw to his jaw. Yeah, it's like he gained weight in his jaw. No, it's not weight. It's... it's, it's I don't know. That, until you can you, get him over here and you can touch his well, face we'll and tell me if it's soft or hard. <laughs> I just... It is... Uh, you also have to watch it in motion, I guess. I feel like the, like... Oh my god. I'll show you TikTok what, about Does it, it fucking, like, it waves in the wind? Because I'm gonna tell you right now, that's beer blood. <laughs> it doesn't wave. It's it's just, it's... I can't believe you missed this. This has been, like, big news this week. It's Zac I'm Efron's sorry. face. And people have been weighing in with, like, oh, do we think it's plastic surgery? Some guy, this, like, really plastic, famous plastic surgeon was like, oh, I think he just has, like, he, he got, like, teeth removed and his face is swollen. Oh! Yeah, which I could well, that do. I mean, he could have just gotten his wisdom teeth out, but then had some, uh, he had to do an interview or whatever, and he didn't yeah, have yeah, 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 yeah. a choice. Is he all weird in the interview? Because maybe he's on perks. No, no, no. He seems normal. It's not an interview. It's like, um... Like, like an banner? ad or something. Oh, okay, okay. Like he's like reading something. I don't really remember, to be honest, but I remember watching it. And they have stills of him moving. And it is just like, 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 like he looks like a, like someone drew him. 
I just don't think he looks that different. He just looks a little thicker. He doesn't look that different. No, but Zac Efron did get thick, and I love that for him. He's so much hotter when he's thick. But it, it, there are before, there are photos of him when he's just got the thickness, and it's great. I love it. But it's different. You are gonna fucking track him down all summer. Wait, listen, I'm on board. I love. I like Zac Efron. I think he's a great actor. Uh, I love Firestarter, and I love shit that's filmed in Toronto. So fucking one, two, three. What more do you want? We're gonna stalk him. Yeah, I'm gonna wear my my matching blazer and skirt set. Assuming gonna, it ever comes. And I'm gonna find Zac Efron. I don't if you can catch him on a beach, you'll blend right in. Perfect. See, Which beach do you think he would go to? Uh, I think Zac Efron would go to Hamlin's. Okay. That's an interesting. I, I just. Z- I think Zach Efron's fun. Like I think Zach Efron was. Well, like, he goes fun. to the naked side. Yeah, of he does. <laughs> I mean, if he's going to the, I mean, he's. Listen, any man who goes to Hamlin's under the age of fifty is there to fuck other dudes, <laughs> and I'm telling you that right now as someone who's been to Hamlin's and is under fifty and has fucked a lot of dudes. <laughs> um... And so, why why stop, first of all? I mean, if Zac Efron, if there's a chance, I think he would go to Cherry Beach. Because it's so set away and there, there's all those little, like, sneaky spots where he can hide. And wakeboard, probably. Does Zac Efron wakeboard? Does he not wakeboard? <laughs> you look at that face and you tell me that's a man who doesn't wakeboard. Although his face might be too wide now. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it's, uh, yeah, the aerodynamics of it don't quite go. Okay, so we're gonna fucking stalk Zac Efron. Uh, I'm excited for Firestarter. I'm is it a film excited. or is it a series? I think it's a film, if I'm okay. not mistaken. But I did very little research on the actual film. That well, you got in, so excited, and a lot yeah. of research on his face. But <laughs> it's all the important stuff. I don't want the movie or series to be spoiled for me. It, no, um, I'm really excited though. Like that's like it. It's been a minute since the Stephen King story has gotten like a. Big movie. Last was Pet Cemetery, I think. Yeah. Or it, I guess. It, I guess it, but it too, which is like kind of like whatever. Like. It's I mean, I didn't really like either of them. To yeah, be honest. and Pet Cemetery. We'll talk about it when we get to the adaptations. Yeah. But the most recent Pet Cemetery is kind of a wash to be like. Yeah, honest. I haven't seen it. I saw the trailer and I just thought, uh, I don't know. But anyway, we'll talk about that after. No, okay, not to derail the Zac Efron. Um, we need experience. to derail the Zac Efron experience. Um, I watched The Stand. Oh, the fuck. new series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was okay. Oh, well. I'm not giving it a glowing <laughs> review. I, I will be honest. I think there's nine episodes and I only watched eight. Because oh. <laughs> all the fun all the fun stuff happens in the like second to last episode. And then the last episode is just like, spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't read the stand. Mm. Uh, it's just, you know, like Franny has her baby and then does oh. the baby have the disease and then the baby doesn't have the disease. But, or it does oh. and then it lives and blah, blah, blah. And I just don't give a fuck about that at all. Yeah, fair. Uh, I'm here for like the blood and guts and the explosions. And honestly, I wanted to see the hand of God come down. I wanted to see how they did the hand of God at the end of the stand. Oh, man. Uh, and it was okay, honestly. Like, it was not incredible, but they, uh, they held to the source material, like, pretty good. That's good. Not a hundred, but, like, not bad. That's honestly um, decent. And Amber Heard dies pretty dramatically. She's a piece of shit. She plays Nadine. Oh! So she's just a nightmare bitch for the whole thing, and I'm like, I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> and then when she finally throws herself out a window, you're like, oh, there. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to watch it. Um, I'll watch it before we inevitably do the stand yeah. on the show. I really had meant to watch 
Pet Cemetery mm. because I was like, oh, we'll talk about that, and I kept like bringing it up to like various people and being like, do you wanna do you wanna watch uh, Pet Cemetery? And they're like, uh, what's it about? And uh, yeah, I that's weird. So many people who were like, I don't really, and I was like, well, obviously, a a pet cemetery. That's weird to me. Because yeah, to I, me, it's, like, such an obvious, like, it's the one about where you bury things in the cemetery and they come back to life. Like, to me, it's just so, even if you, I didn't know anything about it, if yeah. you just said a Stephen King book called Pet Cemetery, my assumption would be <laughs> that something gets buried in a cemetery and comes back to life. That's just the logical train of thought to me. Yeah. Well, I have weak, I'm going to tell this and then I think we should maybe get into actually talking about our book this week, yeah, which absolutely. is Pet Cemetery. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, we, didn't, we didn't mean to drop that one yeah. in so hot. Um, when did you first read Pet Cemetery? Oh, fuck. I was a kid. Oh, yeah? I was... It was, like, probably, I think, maybe the second Stephen King book I ever read, which is... I talk about this in our long-forgotten Tommyknockers episode. <laughs> the Available to patrons only. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it was probably the second Stephen King book I ever read, and it scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I was terrified. And everything after that, I was laughing. You know, like, because this is such a scary book. It wasn't as scary to me the second time I read it. Mm. And by read, I mean listen to an audiobook, but we'll get into that in a second. It wasn't as scary, but as a kid, it, like, really, really scared me. Like, it haunted me. Well, I mean, it's definitely one of the, like, penultimate, like, the scariest Stephen King books. Like, arguably one of the scariest books. Even in this, because I first read it when I was... 18 or 19. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and I was working overnights at Marriott. Oh, wow. Uh, the hotel chain, doing mm. reservations on the phone. And I read it through then. Mm. And I remember blazing through it, but not really retaining the ending, which I think happens oh. to me a lot in any book I read. Yeah. I get to, like, the third act, and I'm just, like, flying through, not really picking it up. I would say I probably enjoyed it more this reread, because I blazed through just last week in, like, three days, because I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah i don't know I, I really enjoyed it it's uh it scared me more this time i think than it did the first time well um i was kind of i was uh saying this earlier i i actually didn't have a chance to read it this time because i've been working so i was listening to it as an audiobook and the audiobook is like 16 hours long yeah which is a lot of pet cemetery to consume yeah and i was listening to it at work and because i'm at work i have to be able to like take calls and like I can't just put my headphones in and, like, put my head down. So I was listening to it openly for anyone to So it sounds hear. like everyone was Everyone listening was listening to Pet Cemetery <laughs> for the past week. And, so, and that's how I know a lot of people have never heard of Pet Cemetery, or a lot of my coworkers have never heard of Pet Cemetery. It's just, at the very least, I would think you... Like, I know that the adaptations aren't particularly popular, mm -hmm. neither of them, I would say, but... Again, it's maybe it's just because we're big Stephen King nerds that we know all about it. But to me, it just seems like one of those ones, like The Shining. Like, you just kind of inherently... Yeah. It's like the ending of The Sixth Sense. Like, everybody knows the ending. Whether or not you've seen The Sixth Sense, mm -hmm. you know how it ends. But, I would, this, to me, this... It's, That's what I What else do. would happen in a pet cemetery? <laughs> like, I don't know. A lot of people, though, a lot of people I came across were either saying... They had never heard of it. They didn't realize it was a Stephen King story or, yeah. I That's even weirder. It is weirder. But people say that a lot. There is a friend, someone we both know, oh. who's very media literate, who didn't know that Stephen King wrote Carrie. And I was, like, shook. I was shook. I, 
What was it, I? Shook. It's the big... <sighs> okay. Listen, that's why this podcast, that's the niche. We're here to help people. We're supporting our communities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try to open y'all's eyes. Uh, let's take a quick break and then let's get into it. Okay, perfect. Sounds good. Steven, 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 Steven We're back. It's like we never left. <laughs> we should get ads. We should make fake ads. Oh Honestly, I was thinking about it the other day. I've got a couple of ideas floating around. I think maybe we should do fake ads. Oh, yeah. It'd be like, kind of like WandaVision, how they have the fake commercials. I didn't watch that. Oh, you should. It's really good. Eh. All right, is it Elizabeth right. Olsen? Yes. She is my preferred Olsen. She's the best Olsen, and it's just a, an Elizabeth Olsen vehicle. Did like, you... the whole show. Okay. See, I just don't give a shit. You know me and Marvel. I just don't care. It's, if you're going to consume any Marvel, it should be this show. Um, it's really good. I, I do love Catherine Hahn. It's just a, it's just a, just a good show. You'll Did like you it. ever see, I'm sorry, we're sidetracking already. I promise, I promise we have a schedule written out. Yeah. Time. <laughs> Things are going to be, they're going to move along at a they're clip. Gonna tight. They're gonna You're going to understand chronologically how yes. this book works. <laughs> <laughs> Theoretically. But have you seen that Elizabeth uh, Olsen movie? Uh, the one that's all done as one shot, the horror movie? No. I can't remember what it's called. It came out, I want to say, like, 2011. Okay. Um, and it's a remake of, a, I think, a short film. But it's all about this woman who, like, has to go and visit, like, I think it's her father's old, like, country home. It's all done as one shot. The house is super haunted. And so over the course of, like, 90 minutes, you, like... It, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but I've uh, I've seen ads for it. Yeah, I think I only watched the first twenty minutes, and I was by myself, and it was too scary. Oh to my god! It. But if you want to watch it with me, sometime. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we'll watch it, we'll watch it, we'll watch it. Anyway, Pet Cemetery. Sorry, Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Okay, uh, Pet Cemetery. Really? I'm gonna cut that out. Yeah, you should. Pet Cemetery <laughs> uh, was released in 1983. Yes. By Stephen King. Uh, Megan, who are our main characters? Okay, so we have, uh, it basically focuses on one family. There is Lewis. He's the father. What's their last name? Creed. Creed. I'm so bad with like the last band. name. Like the band. And the park. And the park, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's a reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> um, So Lewis Creed, he is a doctor. He has started a new position at the University of... Maine. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Look at me go. His wife, Rachel, has moved in with them. They also have their young daughter, Ellie. She's five at the start of the novel. And then their toddler, Gage. I think he's around one. Yeah, one and a half, two-ish. Yeah. yeah he's there. When they first arrive at the house, uh, because they, the book opens, I'll let you do the summary, but the book opens and they arrive at their new home. And the story takes place over about the course of a year. Give or take, I would yeah. say, yeah. So he is not speaking when they first get there. He says his first words. So he's probably, what, like, maybe, like, six, seven months, yeah. I guess. Yeah, Or maybe even a little bit older than that, because I think by the end he's too. Anyway, toddler age. Toddler age. Basic-ass little blonde toddler. Oh yeah. Their neighbor, Judd, last name? Crandall. Crandall, thank you. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> and his wife, Norma. Last name Crandall. That's right. <laughs> Good old Norma. Uh, they live across the street from them. They are neighbors 
to the home that these people have just moved into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could get into it a little bit more, but I feel like then I'm going to start Yeah, we'll start fleshing it so out, yeah. if you kind of want to give them... Well, I mean, you've forgotten one very important main character oh my God. that I know you don't want to mention. I think it I think it needs to be mentioned as a character. Okay. The cat. <laughs> the fucking cat. Winston Churchill. <laughs> Winston Church, Churchill. The cat. <laughs> the cat. Oh, I think the reason I need... I, when I first read Pet Cemetery, I wouldn't have said that, but now that I'm a person who has had cats... <laughs> I'm like, no, that cat, cats are weird. Cats have a personality. That cat is a character in the book. The cat, I, I'll give you that. And it is really heavy in the imagery. Yeah. Whenever you see a cover of Pet Cemetery, The first copy I had was the really scary first edition one. And even though I was 19 or 20, I had to turn it over because the cat creeped me out so much at night. Yeah, it was so spooky. Yeah. Um, it's really scary. And that's an image that they really push. And you are right in that sense. Like, it is a character. It's also, like, almost like a theme in the story. Like, it, Well, it sort of takes the... the sorry to interrupt you. Um, mm-hmm. It sort of takes the position of, like, the evil. Yeah. Before the evil yeah. has a face, it has to have some sort of like personification Mm -hmm. and um i I mean as we'll get into it sort of becomes more and more um lucid i guess or like tangible as the story goes on but its initial presence is within church yes which is why i think (laughs) church is considered an essential character all right invite me to your ted talk (laughs) you're already here baby (laughs) tickets are free uh all right so let's let's break it down i'll open up my synopsis wow i love this so professional thank you i thought so uh, so the Creep family relocates from Chicago to Ludlow, Maine, which is a fake town uh, mm. just outside of Bangor, Maine, okay. uh, where Stephen King lives. Um, it is, uh, I think it's based on Orono, Maine, which is where the University of Maine is. I think the idea is that this is a like a little town that is like right next to Orono, no. but not really. It does, <laughs> it's not real. So as Megan said, Lewis uh, is starting work at the University of Maine there as their head of uh, campus hospital. In the beginning, the whole first kind of sequence when they're driving up is so reminiscent to me of the Shining movie. Oh my god. Yeah, because no. when you're, you're you know dun, 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 mm-hmm. fucking Jack Nicholson just seems like unnecessarily mad at everyone, um, like fuck you wife, fuck you kid. That is all what Lewis's internal monologue is in the first chapter of Pet Cemetery, where he's like, "I've been on the road for five fucking days, fuck these kids, fuck this wife." Like he is not having it. Yeah, at all. I'm gonna cut you off really briefly because yeah. when I was listening to it and it was that opening chapter where it's them arriving at the house, I made a note in my phone. I was like. Does Lewis not like Ellie? Question mark. Like, yeah, just, and I think it's one of those. It's like I don't have kids, but I can assume that like you know you have a five year old, you've been uh-huh. on the road for five days, you're fucking sick of that kid. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was an annoying kid. I'm sure my parents were like, get me out of this car. They were also particularly annoying. Like the way yeah. that they were written, I was like, fuck these kids. Also, like yeah. I would leave these. I would leave these children and drive off to Disneyland. Like as he kind of wants to do wants to do that's his little fantasy in that moment it's interesting it's um because lewis has painted throughout this book as sort of the every man father who mm-hmm. it's also i mean again we'll get into it but yeah. it's the story is kind of about his corruption as a person and how he slowly sort of deteriorates deteriorates from mm-hmm. being this um uh, uh gold standard of fatherhood that yeah. he's like striving to be and it's interesting that that totally does fall apart by the end of the book, but the first glimpse that we get of him oh, yeah. is he's already kind of like, fuck these kids, fuck this family, 
I'm out. I, I think that's, it's a very natural response again. Like, nobody mm-hmm. likes their kids all the time. Nobody likes their wife all the time. I don't know. It, it was in, in, worth noting, I thought. I think it is worth noting because I think, and people talk about this, the rest of the book, though, is so picture perfect yeah. until it's not. Yeah. I'll interject as you go along yeah. because there are so many moments in that book where it is really just perfect, you know? Like, and they, they really set it up in such a way. It's like they build it up so much so that the inevitable fall is just so heart-wrenching yeah and it's done perfectly because you always again it's like you pick up this book even if you don't read the back yeah you know you know something is gonna happen you know that there's no way this is a happy story with that creepy hat on the front like yeah um but it takes so long for and there are bits in the story i love the pacing of this story is what i'm gonna say before we even get into it it is, like, it's, like, such a long period of time where nothing creepy happens, and then something awful happens. Yeah. And then such a long period of time, and then something awful happens. It's, and it, it's that intervals, building of terror and horror, right? It's, it's so that well lulling done. into, a like, a false sense of security. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting uh, looking at that from, like, a literature standpoint, mm-hmm. because the way that terror is built in, like, writing form is so much yeah. different than it would be, like, in film. Like, you do kind of have to have these long periods of, like stasis where nothing is really happening and you're just sort of getting into these characters mm-hmm. um and then slowly you're introducing that thread of ooh something's not right ooh something's a little bit off yeah. and that builds and builds and builds until you know the fucked thing happens and that's your that's your horror moment right be and you can do that in film um just using music mm-hmm. or um or even like pacing camera movement yeah. there's lots of ways you can do that but in writing you have to use your words and so the ability to do that uh, successfully and still build that, like, mm-hmm. climbing tension and those lines that every once in a while you read that just send a shiver down your spine and you, you don't see it coming, mm-hmm. that's good writing. And that's, I think, why this book succeeds in that way. I absolutely agree with you. I love the way that it's paced. Listening to it is an audiobook and being able to kind of pull back and see, like, the chapters and, like, how long. Mm-hmm. And it really is just the first, I would say, two-thirds of the book kind of nothing happens like lots of things happen to build suspense but it is really just a story of the family and again you'll get into that a little bit more and then the second part of the book after gage's death spoiler alert yeah again if you didn't see that coming Mm -hmm. i don't know how to help you um is the other third of the book basically and then the actual climax is maybe 20 pages 20 pages Yeah. yeah it's so concise because you've built it up so much and you see the story, like, start picking up, and it's going at such a clip when yep. it gets towards the end of it. Which, again, we can talk about. I have more notes on that. But um, it's just, it's really well-paced. This yep. is a great book. Yeah, all the payoffs, like, you feel like you've earned them. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Like, as the reader, you've done the work, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, go on, though. Go on. Uh, that's okay. So, uh, as soon as they arrive at the house, uh, Lewis obviously in a mood. Rachel, I'm sure, is obviously... Over Super it. not yeah, kind of over it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost instantly, the kids get got by a rock and a bee. Uh, <laughs> Ellie cuts her knee open, just like walks out the door, is like ow. <laughs> and while that's happening, Gage gets stung by a bee. Mm-hmm. So the family's frantically running around, and that's when we're introduced to Judd, the old guy from across the street. Uh, he comes over and like gingerly plucks the uh, bee stinger out yeah. of Gage's neck, and it's all talked about like oh how deft he was. Lewis surmises that he must be a man of 70. It's later revealed that he's in his 80s. He mm-hmm. just looks great for his age. He's one of those, like, old main stock you get in a Stephen King book. I, I love yeah. it. <laughs> I love it. Every time that Judd would say something... So the audiobook that I was listening to was... Uh, 
it was Michael C. Hall who was doing it, which I didn't realize until the end, and I was like, oh, okay, that's fun. But every time he did Judd, he, like, put on an accent, which is very funny. It was like It's such a funny accent to do, too, because it's not quite Southern. (laughs) (laughs) It's not quite, like, a maritime accent. It's hard to put your finger on it yeah it was it's a it was a very funny like visual just michael and he did voices kind of for everybody which i thought was really and i'm rachel <laughs> yes in the really serious parts he dropped it but it, essentially it was like and i'm rachel oh my god i might have to listen to this that sounds hilarious <laughs> i also good. love michael seal <laughs> it honestly looks pretty good um judd uh yep yeah, saves uh gage from the big horrible uh bee stinger mm-hmm. and uh they discuss how busy the street is yeah, or the road good um, foreshadowing good great foreshadowing um there's a lot of uh trucks going by and just like busy busy stuff on this uh this road which i think was initially built to be a country road but it's sort of become uh, a highway of sorts. Yeah, it was like um. I I mean I've I'm from the East Coast, so I know exactly what kind of road it looks like, which is mm-hmm. where it's like the one road, like there are no branching off roads. Mm-hmm. You live on the main road, but since there's nothing from here to there, people will just blaze by, and it would have been built as like a just like a little country road that has had yeah. been upgraded over the years. So Judd is like, don't call it a street, call it a road. Like almost like you have to respect it because they will not, and you need mm-hmm. to be fucking careful. Yeah, and he really does warn them. He's like, watch your pets, yeah. watch your kids, like, yeah. don't <clears throat> fuck with this road. Spoiler alert, uh, they no. fuck with the road. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess the road fucks with them. Or is it the road? We'll get into oh, it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, so some time passes. Uh, Judd and Lewis get tight and smash brews together on a regular basis. Oh my god, they do smash brews. Their friendship is precious. Well, it's not even a friendship. It's really, in, uh, I think even the first paragraph is about how um, Lewis meets Judd and it's the man who should have been his father since his father died when he was really young and their relationship is interesting they are they are referred to as friends later on I think Mm -hmm. Rachel refers to them as friends yeah um but it toes this line between like father son intergenerational relationships and like the respect politics that kind of come with that Mm um I don't know I'm just kind of yeah found interesting though too is that um Norma and Judd don't have kids and no Mm -hmm. one ever addressed like it's never addressed like it's not that it needs to be addressed like it's totally fine for like a a couple to be childless but in 1983 and I think it's a you're right yeah yeah, it's just it it is an interesting thing and I think that sort of plays in part in Judd's relationship and Norma's relationship with the family yeah they're kind of like a surrogate family yeah the kids they never had exactly I mean then the grandkids they never had yeah they're very close with that family like they spend Thanksgivings and holidays together yeah yeah it's it reminds me sorry and again like I when I was in PEI when I was a kid Mm -hmm. I lived on like a road like this that's Mm -hmm. why I could envision it so perfectly and there was a family next door who were absolutely like the Judd and Norma. They lived, oh. this is, I don't know if this is interesting, it was Lucy Maud Montgomery's old house. I don't know who that is. She wrote Anne of Green Gables. Oh, shit! Yeah. What? <laughs> have I never told you this? No. <laughs> yeah, uh, this would have been like 1995-ish. Okay, true. Uh, yeah, we, um, my dad was the minister at the church down the road, oh. and so we moved into this little, like, manse house that's owned by the church, and next door was this big old, like, Victorian mansion thing that Lucy Maud Montgomery lived in when uh, she was working as a school teacher, also just down the road, at oh. a little, like, one-room schoolhouse. Uh, and it was where she was inspired to write Anne of Green Gables. Oh my God, so she moved out of that house and then wrote the book after that. Um, and so my Judd and Norma, whose names were Leon and Gertrude. <laughs> that sounds made up. <laughs> it does, I know. They were the nicest people. Oh my but God. it was fully, like, 
my parents would or my dad would chat with Leon and like Gertrude mm. would make cookies and play cards with us like it was very much and me, my sister and I were the same age as Pet Cemetery, so it was there was a cat around anyway oh, I don't need to get into that did you anyway. get Pet Cemetery? no but I did pick that cat up and drop it a lot to see if it would land on its feet did it? Yeah. Oh, good. So the yeah. cat obviously was not Pet Cemetery then. No, it still had some uh, some gumption. <laughs> Maybe after I left, it got Pet Cemetery. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so they uh, they become close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Judd introduces the family to the trail on one side of their property that leads into the woods and ultimately into the, the Pet Cemetery. Ooh, oh, that's so spooky. Spooky. <laughs> So, uh, Judd, yeah, again, he leads them down this path, mm-hmm. uh, takes them to, uh, what is referred to as the Pet cemetery with the misspelling, there's a sign up, mm-hmm. uh, and it's concentric circles with graves getting older and older as they go in, mm-hmm. um, and it's basically where kids in the, in the neighborhood or the yeah. area of the town, what have you, uh, have been burying their pets for years and years and years. Uh, the kids kind of unspokenly take care of it, mm-hmm. um, which isn't discussed a lot, but is very much that Stephen King vibe of, like, you know, children having their own universe. 100%. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know how accurate it is, but it, it, I, I get it. I can see that in, like, a small town. Like, you have, like, your, like, your kid mythos. Yeah, um, yeah. Judd has a dog buried up there. Yes, yeah, yeah he what does. What was the dog's name? Uh, was it, it was just, like, Spot or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was generic, very generic. Yeah, basic-ass dog name. Mm-hmm. Rover. <laughs> uh, so he takes them up there. Um, this is kind of Ellie's first experience with what death is. Yeah. Uh, and she's not, she's a little freaked out about it initially, but she's sort of just trying to come to terms with it as a five-year-old would. Mm-hmm. And Rachel steps in because it turns out she cannot handle the concept of death at all. Yeah. Um, and tries to really uh, shield Ellie from that and take her away from it. Later on in the book, we find out why Rachel um, has these issues. I think we can talk about that. Now. Yeah, I think we should talk about that later because I think Rachel's relationship with death is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Ellie goes to the pet cemetery and she seems kind of fine, whatever. And then later on in the evening, she's really freaked out. She's like, oh my God, is church going to die? Yeah. And Lewis has a pretty frank discussion about death with her. And uh, Rachel overhears that and is furious. Yeah. And is very much like, I don't want you talking about death with the kids. It's not natural. And Lewis's point is, you know, well, she knows where babies come from. She should kind of know what happens on the other side of that. Also, I'm a doctor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's all of these things. And as I was reading that, I was like, God, Rachel is... Rachel needs to deal with her demons. Mm. Her both literal and figurative demons, yeah. I guess, in this place. I, I, She really does over the course of the book. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the parallel between her wearing Lewis's characters. Yeah. Like, I think at the beginning, Lewis is really set up to be this character who's very, like, I can process this. I'm a doctor. Like, I am very capable and I can do this. And Rachel is this, like, more weak character who can't deal with death, can't move through it can't process her feelings or her emotions and kind of midway through there's a bit of a switch between mm-hmm. the two characters yeah and which I, you're right i absolutely talk okay, about right. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting anyway we'll keep we'll keep it pumping we'll yeah let's yeah. uh let's talk about zelda just so we have some framework on yeah. um, on why rachel is this way and also because i wrote it here and nowhere further and i don't want to forget to oh, talk about it makes sense rachel uh comes from a wealthy jewish family from mm-hmm. chicago or the chicago area 
Shy town. Shy town. Sorry, Lewis consistently calls it. I feel like it's one of those things. It's like how people in Toronto don't call it T dot. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody calls it Shy Town, Steve. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe that's not true. Maybe that's an assumption I'm making. If someone from Chicago ever happens to listen to this podcast, please tell us if people in Chicago call it Shy Town. And don't lie to us, or else we will tell you that people in Toronto do call it T dot, <laughs> and you will truly embarrass yourself should you ever visit. Um. So she uh, grew up in this wealthy family uh she had an older sister who came down with i think it was spinal meningitis at a young age uh and it basically transformed her into a monster she couldn't do anything by herself Mm -hmm. her uh muscles and bones all sort of deteriorated atrophied uh essentially she the curled fingers of a witch i think is sort of an ongoing uh, sort of descriptor for it and zelda becomes very angry Mm -hmm. um very dispossessed because you know, her brain still works, but she can't use her body. And the frustration, like, it must be maddening, especially for a kid who's, like, just about to, like, become a real person. Yeah, well, because she's, what, like, in her, like, she's a preteen. Like, like 10, 11, I would like, say, yeah. She has some wherewithal. Yeah. And can you imagine, and they also mentioned it's, like, she's, like, kept in their back, like, the back bedroom. The hidden this secret. dirty secret, yeah. which, again... If you're struggling with this pain and you're watching your body just become something completely other mm-hmm. and you're just living in this like back terrible like smelly room and that's just your life like I Zelda I get it I get where she's coming from like well, it's exactly horrifying. yeah and Rachel uh, talks about how she was pretty sure that Zelda would do things oh like like piss the bed or like mm-hmm. um, you know demand things uh, on purpose just because she knew that Rachel would do it mm-hmm. uh, she was jealous of Rachel for still having uh, mobility yeah. and like a future because she was definitely going to die of meningitis at some point like it was inevitable yeah um and it's just like you said like those are absolutely understandable emotions. I'm sure that that's, I mean, again, my sister works in healthcare. Mm-hmm. I've heard stories about uh, people in old folks' homes and things like that who do get really bitter and angry. And it's not really, a, it, it, it's not necessarily a reflection on who you are. It's more just like how you are responding to these circumstances. Yeah. Well, even when there's a the part where Rachel finally tells all of this to Lewis, yeah. because this is Rachel's experience, but she really does keep it, internalized exactly that's exactly the word i was looking for she keeps it internalized for the entirety of her life essentially and it's not until probably midway through the book that she opens up to lewis and actually shares the magnitude of this experience because he kind of knows bits and pieces about it but he doesn't really know the whole thing yeah and he does mention to her and he's like you know like this is a lot of people who are going through these end of life processes i guess it's it's kind of a weird thing to word do feel this anger and it's also this would have been in the 60s so what we have now like is again there are different standards of care and things like that obviously like in no matter what it's going to be a difficult thing but it's like you wouldn't just leave your 11 year old daughter in your fucking back room to just wither and wilt away yeah yeah well i mean it's so flowers in the attic like god i know it's crazy and it's wild to me that it's it's such a running theme in like horror and like gothic literature for the last 60 years or so of the idea of, like, the monster in the closet or whatever mm-hmm. is a member of your family that you've just shoved away. Like, that... It's like the Simpsons Halloween when Bart has the evil twin. Yeah. Like, and it's... What's well, such a trope, like... It is, absolutely. It's And it's done really well, I think, in Pet Cemetery because I it agree. is... It's just a... It's not even a plot device. It's just... 
a part of another character's history. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't have any, like, really integral... I mean, I guess Rachel wouldn't be who she is. Yeah. Uh, and maybe some of the things in the story wouldn't have happened if she hadn't lived the experiences she had. Uh, ultimately, what it comes down to is uh, her sister choked on something um, while she while Rachel was the only one home. She tried to save her. It didn't work. Uh, and then when her sister died, um, mm. she felt guilty. Like, yeah. I, I'm not mad that she's dead. I feel glad that she's dead. Did I kill her? Did I kill her on purpose? Did I kill her by mistake? Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of what Rachel's whole thing is. She has been battling that for, like, 25 years now. Absolutely. I And it's true. And you mentioned, like, her parents were out when her sister yeah. died. And she runs into the street screaming. Yes, the yeah. neighbor finds her. and It's a complete nervous breakdown. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And uh, there's a passage in the book where they mention the doctor looking over Rachel being like, well, you know, you need to calm down. Like, your parents, their daughter just died. And it's, like, the dismissive way that people are handling her feelings. Well, and all, it's just, that's just how people talk to kids back then, too. Yeah, it's nuts. Like, and suck it up. Like No fucking wonder, like, this woman is, like, dealing with her trauma in a not super healthy or productive way. Yeah. Like, she was literally told, like, hey, shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. your parents are sad. You're you're still here, sweet. Get over like, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking. Well, which I will say, uh, and this is a complete sidebar, even from that, but uh, there is a character named Missy Dandridge. Oh my god, Missy Dandridge! Who is often brought in as babysitter. And there's a one line in and around all of uh, all of this discussion uh, when they first go to the pet cemetery, where it's mentioned that Missy Dandridge cleans for them. I wrote this down in my notes. Why do they need a cleaner? Rachel doesn't have a job. Rachel literally is a stay-at-home mom. Why do they have a cleaner? Oh my god. It's so I'm so glad that you brought that up. I was just, I'm enraged by it. Well, okay, so there's a, a point where Lewis is trying to, uh, he goes up to the pet cemetery at night and he has mud on his feet. And he's like, oh, shit, I don't want Rachel to see this. So he balls up the sheets and he throws it down the laundry chute. And as I was reading it, I was like, Rachel's going to find this when she does the laundry. And I was like, oh, no, Missy Dandridge does the laundry. I was like, what the fuck does Rachel do then? What does she do? She just wanders around like a sad ghost, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Back back to the plot here. I'm glad um, we took a moment for that. So, because I wrote that down heart. twice. Because the first time I went back, I was like, oh, maybe I don't need to mention that. But then last minute when I was just going over my notes before we started, I put it back in. So I'm glad I did. That's one of the only, like, big notes that I made. Because I was like, oh, this is a plot hole that Lewis would try to hide his sheets in the laundry chute because obviously Rachel's gonna do the laundry. Like, Stephen King dumb like she's I mean, gonna do the laundry oh no they have a housekeeper oh okay i guess i appreciate that they filled in that particular like plot hole but just in such a way <laughs> it makes sense. i guess so i'm like what does rachel do like i don't know she's busy raising her well-behaved children yeah, I guess. uh all right so some time passes uh we come to the first day of class Mm -hmm. Uh, at the university. Lewis has been doing a little bit of prep work there, but this is kind of his first big day on the job. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost immediately, uh, Lewis has a patient named Victor Pasco die immediately in the office. I believe he was hit by a car when he was jogging. Yeah, he was jogging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With his fiancé. Right, which also 19-year-old fiancés. (laughs) The 80s were a different time. (laughs) I wish. Oh, God. Um, So it's it's really gruesome. Uh, Guy dies and it's just... uh, it's not pleasant at all. Rachel, he gets home from work and Rachel has sent the kids away to stay with Missy Dandridge and uh, fucks him real good. Yes, yeah, she does. She fucks him real good, which 
I mean, listen, I <laughs> I enjoy a bit of erotica here yeah. and there. It was kind of hot. It was kind of hot. I feel like I she was like, happy for her. She girl. gives him a little handy J in the tub. Does she, okay, so she mentions in the book that she has like oh a bath like gloves. a bath mitt on, and so she's giving him a hand job with a bath mitt on uh-huh. bath mitts. Yeah, and like. Wouldn't that be too scratchy? I would think so. I would think so too. Unless it's like a like, really soft one. I just don't think it. I guess it would be for babies. So I guess. Oh, is she using the same glove to wash her baby and jerk her husband off? I guess that's. I don't think she would have different bath mitts. Is all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that. I guess you wouldn't then. <laughs> Jesus. Ew. They're not really bringing in that doctor money yet. Yeah. They can only afford one. <laughs> Uh, this is my bath mitt for hand jobs, and this is my bath mitt for my son. And never the two shall twain. Never the two shall twain. Yeah. Wait. How never the it? twain shall meet. Never the twain shall meet. There we go. There we go. We I, mean, I think you're still right. Uh, they go to bed, and that night, yes. um, Lewis dreams that Victor Pasco's ghost, all fucked up and still in its shorts and yeah. like all bloody and messy, comes to visit him and walks him out to the pet cemetery. So he, it's about a. Uh, I would say, what, like a mile or so? Like a two-kilometer walk mm-hmm. from the house to the pet cemetery. Yeah. Um, once they get there, uh, Victor Pasco points at the uh, the deadfall at the back, which mm-hmm. is just like a bunch of trees that have all sort of died around the same time. And yeah. This, like, it sounds like it's about 12 feet high, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, th- uh, like, wall of dead trees. Yeah. And he basically points out, he's like, don't you fucking dare go back there. 100%. Don't you even, yeah. like, I'm saying this all kind of like Twin Peaks ghost style, but... Don't. Yeah. Don't. Well, because when he dies, initially, Victor Pasco. Right, yes, yes. He says to Lewis, his dying words are, don't go past the pet cemetery. Yeah. Like, you, don't, don't do this. Don't like, do I'm, it. I am giving you my fucking, cut this part out. I, he wrote down, I wrote down, <laughs> that he said to him, I come as a friend, your discret- destruction is very near. And that is just fucking... So heavy. Consi- I, sorry, go ahead. No, I I'm really gonna kind of run with this part a little bit because when I read the book the book the first time, I I didn't really pay a lot of attention to this part. Mm-hmm. But second read that whole sequence of Victor Pasco dying, and then subsequently taking him to the forest at night was my favorite part of the book. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's so well written, mm-hmm. uh, specifically. The part where they're in the clearing and it's moonlit and yeah. they he's pointing at the the deadfall, which in his dream looks like bones. Yeah. And um, I wrote this down too because I thought this was just a really cool line. But they're talking about as they're leaving the area, the pet cemetery at the end of the night, uh, he, Lewis looks back at the deadfall and uh, the last line of that bit is, still he heard the click of moving bones in the moonlit crypt of the night in reference to the deadfall being the bones yeah. because they were like whirring and moving and it's just, it's really well done. Uh, so anyway, he uh, walks into the pet cemetery, uh, warns him. Lewis wakes up the next morning and you've sort of touched on this a little bit. Uh, he assumes it was all a dream until he throws back the covers to reveal that he's all muddy and woodsy and shit. Yeah. Oh, spooky. <laughs> uh, this is the point where he throws all his laundry down the chute so that Rachel won't find out. Missy Dandor, what's she gonna Hold think? Hold on, I'm gonna read you verbatim the notes that I have in here. Lewis puts the dirty laundry in the laundry chute. Rachel obviously has to do the laundry. Wait, Missy Dandridge, question mark? Their housekeeper, question mark? And then I wrote, Lewis makes $67,000 a year. How can he afford a housekeeper every five days? 
<laughs> I mean, oh, I guess, yeah, that's a single family income. However, mm. that's in 1983 money. That is money. in 1983 money. You are right about that. But I remember because he mentioned how much he makes. And I was like, I'm I don't the think math. that's right. <laughs> like, I don't think they can afford Missy. <laughs> well, I mean, what else is she? What's her job? What else is she doing? Well, I don't know. She also just... Okay, I don't... This Listen, is this is not a Missy Dandridge podcast. I wish it was. Call it Pepsi. Pepsi. <laughs> um, a couple of notes from this section of the book that I'd like to touch on, if I may. Mm-hmm. Candy stripers. Spencer, we are We're the too same similar. fucking person. The candy stripers at the dying scene. <laughs> what are you trying to say about that? I was just going to say, when did candy stripers stop being a thing? Because the idea that we were just taking, like, young girls, mostly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And putting them in a, like a cute little outfit and then just being like, all right, you're a nurse now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't happen anymore, right? No, I don't think, it must not. What a fun, it's fun. And until you think about those poor candy stripers at their first day ever in any kind of medical environment is some guy bleeding out. Just some guy's brain coming out of his nose. Oh like, my God. Oh, oh my God. so unpleasant. That scene was I keep coming back to it. That scene was really well written. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The part where he, he was dying. I was like, this is absolutely perfect. Like, I love it. We're also introduced to the character of Dr. Hardu, who I love. I love Dr. Hardu. I will say that Michael C. Hall did, like, kind of a, like, vaguely offensive Indian accent mm-hmm. when he was doing his voice for the reading. He, uh, see, that's hard because he reads with an accent. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like, when you yeah, read yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. This we're just two white people talking about it, so our opinion doesn't matter. I think and it's like funny that I, I I get it. He did the accent for Judd. He did the voice for Rachel, but it's like I was like, it's touchy. Oh, I, I think it's one of those things. It's it's one of those things. If it comes from a place of like admiration and not mm-hmm. tearing someone down, I guess I don't have that much issue with it. Um, he really only did for that one scene, though. I think yeah. it kind of like dissipated for the remainder. Well, and Doctor Hardu, I, I read it. I read his character very critically because I was like, okay, Steve, yeah, like you're yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. back in the day here. You weren't the best for writing like people of color. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm gonna try to read this with as critical an eye as yeah. I can. And it's not. I mean, yeah, there is the like uh, somebody from Southeast Asia being a doctor. Like yeah. that's already a trope. Uh, the way that he talks, it is, uh, it does have the intonation of someone who, uh, English isn't their first language. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, though, he's kind of a lovely character. And he is adorable. He's I not really, he, he makes, like, funny jokes. He's got, like, he's got good, like, comedy timing. Mm-hmm. Like, as a character, he, he's not a big part of the story, but he added just a little bit for me. I, I liked him. I yeah, thought he was great. Yeah, I like him, too. Lewis's doctor friends were actually really, like, Yeah, Steve, good. the other guy who works at the, at the place with him. Yeah, it was kind of nice. It also did a good job of grounding them because yeah. they came to this city knowing nobody. Like, yeah. they meet Judd the first fucking day and they're just like, you're the only man I know now. Um, but as they spend that time living with them for that, like, first little bit, like, you see, it's like they have friends. They have their little fucking housekeeper. They have Dr. Hardu. They yeah. have Steve. Like, they have this community that... People give a shit about them. People yeah. care about them. They are, like, part of the community now. And there's something to be said about, um, and, and again, this is something that comes up a lot in the Stephen King books, I think, but that feeling of being an outsider in a small town. Yeah. Where you you don't know anybody. You have to kind of build those relationships mm-hmm. from the ground up. And especially in, like, a small main town, mm-hmm. as we know from book after book after book, people aren't necessarily the friendliest all the time. If you're an outsider, if you're, like, a yeah. summer person... It's it, it can be really hard to break down those barriers. Um, and part of the reason I think it works 
out so well for the creeds is mm-hmm. because of the influence of the pet cemetery. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I've got a whole thing we're going to get into okay. later on when we start breaking down what the pet cemetery actually is. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that there's some connection there. Um, and maybe, maybe not. I don't know. No, we, it makes we'll sense. It. Uh, there's the pet cemetery has some big time power. Absolutely. Okay. We'll get, we'll get to yeah. that. Yeah. Um, Halloween comes and Judd's lovely wife, Norma, suffers the fate of many an inconsequential side character and has a plot <laughs> device heart attack so that Lewis can help her out and in return Judd feels that he owes him one. So on Thanksgiving, when the family minus Lewis uh, goes back to Chicago to spend the holidays with um, Rachel's parents, Church, who has recently been fixed, gets smoked by an 18-wheeler and lands on Judd's yard. <laughs> Um, just like the whole then Ellie before she leaves is like my cat's not gonna die right her parents are like of course not the cat immediately dies (laughs) and it's just such a worst case scenario oh yeah like situation you wanna talk about a book where like every bad thing that could possibly happen to oh god but it happened and it happens because of the pet cemetery Mm -hmm. it kind of makes it like anytime you see something and you're like that feels a little like on the nose it's like the pet cemetery did it. I mean, it's a great plot device. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Judd goes all like dead behind the eyes, haunted by the ether, mm-hmm. and takes Lewis beyond the cemetery where he was told not to go. Uh, they climb the deadfall mm-hmm. uh, and deep into the spooky, spooky woods to the real cemetery. Um, so the nature of the area beyond the cemetery, it's uh, a wooded path that goes on for, I think they say about two or three kilometers yep. or two or three miles. Uh, five kilometers, we'll say. A, a good long walk. like a, <laughs> an, Let's say an hour's walk. Um, and all that time, there's sort of uh, dissociative uh, things that are happening. Like, uh, you might hear voices, but don't worry, it's just the loons. Oh my god, down. I love that. That's a good line, and I love yeah. that they, like, repeat it. Yeah. Spoiler, they go back to the pet center. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's not just the one time. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so nice if this could have just been a book where they just bring back the cat and then everything's fine. It almost was! <laughs> oh my god. Um, so as they get closer and closer to the actual burial ground, um, they start to see shadows. Oh yeah. Uh, Judd warns him not to look into there, not to worry about oh, it, just yeah. keep chill. Mind your own business. Mm-hmm. Nothing can hurt you here. Yeah. They finally get to the steps, uh, mm-hmm. or to, sorry, to a set of steps that have been carved into a hill. Yeah. Uh, or a mound, almost. Um, you're a mound. You're a mound. <laughs> I'll show you a mound. Um, Judd, I don't know what this means, and I always, I remember reading it the first time I read this uh-huh. book, and wondering why it never came up again, and I thought the same this time. Judd says, oh, there's about 44 steps. Oh. And or he's like, oh, there's 43 or 44. I can't remember what it is. And then when they get to the top, he goes, huh, I guess it's 45. And it's never brought up again. Oh, that's weird. And it just seems like it's like, is that the number of people who've or the number of you know oh, creatures that maybe. have been resurrected? That I don't know. Could be it. That's interesting. It, I just don't understand why it would come up if it didn't have. Uh, some yeah, meaning. maybe it was like meant to. I kind of always took it as like illustrating that like he has, like, been here enough times for it to be notable. That, right, like, yeah. Like, kind of being like, this is not Judd's, like, first rodeo. Like, obviously it's not because... He knows about it, yeah. He knows about it, but... I don't know. That is an interesting observation. Yeah. No, I didn't think about it that way. I, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we could argue it both ways. I think you definitely could. And that might be like, the point. Very, yeah, <laughs> it's ambiguous enough. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to, I have a kind of a big sidebar here because okay. I, I want to talk about the concept of an ancient McMack burial ground for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that all right? That's fine by me. That's fine by me. All Let's right. Get into it. So straight up from the get go, we've said it 
before we've said it again, mm-hmm. uh, we know that this cemetery brings things back from the dead. There's yeah. just, I mean, what else would it be doing? <laughs> They're not taking the, uh, Lewis is like, I wonder what we're doing. It's like, what do you fucking think? What do you fucking think? Yeah. Obviously it's yeah. a magic cemetery. Um, uh, anyway, it brings them back, but not quite. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, uh, oops, sorry. Oh, Lu- yeah, Lewis is slow on the uptake, but yeah. whatever. He has to be because he's the main character. Whatever. We're the omniscient reader. We we know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wanted to look up and see kind of how this concept of like a Micmac burial ground matches with what an actual Micmac burial ground oh, is. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so I found a CBC article that I'll link um, uh-huh. from February 12, 2020. Uh-huh. It didn't have a byline. Um but it was an article about uh, Alan Silliboy, who's a Mi'kmaq from Millbrook First Nations in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if you're not super familiar with the uh, geography of like Eastern North America, Nova Scotia uh, kind of juts out down and is just across the bay from Maine. So it's very much oh, the okay. same. Um, the Mi'kmaq people or the Mi'kmaq people were the sort of main peoples mm-hmm. there before um, colonialization. Uh, Alan Silliboy is an artist exploring the Mi'kmaq culture around death. Okay. Uh, children help with the prepping of the body in traditional uh, oh. Mi'kmaq ceremonies, which I think is really interesting and talks about how, like, or suggests through the context of our story, mm-hmm. Rachel not wanting the kids to be involved in knowing about death at all. Mm-hmm. And then on the obverse, we have a culture that is like, yeah, no, it's a natural part of life. Yeah. Like, you should be embracing it. I just thought that was interesting. That I don't know if there really is a connection. But, um... There are a few different options uh, that are traditional uh, cultural burials within mm-hmm. the Mi'kmaq people. Um, one option is to be buried sitting upright, facing east, oh. as the Mi'kmaq are the people of the dawn and the keepers of the eastern door. Uh-huh. The body is then covered by a birch bark shroud that's dyed with red ochre. Uh, red ochre is often used as a coloring for the skin or the shroud or the face. And then there's this story. Mm-hmm. There is a 16th century story about a person being buried near a well-worn path so that the spirit would be nourished by the women that walked the path. And that just seems a little too... There's so much about the path. Yeah. The fact that these... You know, if you look at the path leading from their house all the way to the real pet cemetery, mm-hmm. you're you on this path, you walk through the... the you know, kids' pet cemetery, the fake mm-hmm. pet cemetery, which is people buried along the path. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the end of it where there's people buried along the path. It seems like there might be some kind yeah, of Yeah, that's there. really interesting. I wouldn't have thought to look into that, but it does feel very apropos. Yeah, it, it just seems like there's a little bit too much same-sameness there for it to not be, like, Stephen King read an article or something. Yeah, anyway, incredibly interesting. Yeah, yeah, so look that up. Again, I'll link it in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not much relation to the cemetery outline for us here uh mm-hmm. it's suggested that whatever the whatever powers the cemetery is ancient in a big way mm-hmm. uh and was eventually corrupted by the entity aforementioned uh which is a wendigo yeah uh so i'm gonna do again sorry just a little brief yeah yeah that's fine that's thing about wendigos <laughs> Um, they are, uh, mostly from, uh, Algonquin speaking cultures. Okay. Uh, so that's like the Cree, the Ojibwe, uh, more or less people who, um, were the, you know, initial caretakers of the land around where we are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Southern Ontario, a little bit further North, Great Lakes-ish. Mm-hmm. So it's not really, uh, a Mi'kmaq thing. Okay. But there are, um... Wendigo-esque creatures throughout a lot of North American folklore. Okay. So there's some uh, from like the BC area. Um, I don't know if there was a specific one for the Mi'kmaq. If there was, I couldn't find anything. But it is suggested uh, in the book that the Wendigo, if it is a Wendigo, came from the north. 
so it's sort of uh sort of a horrible beast that is even still outside of its own realm that has now infected this new Ooh, realm. That's so spooky. Um, so traditionally, Wendigo are big, horrible mutant human monsters. Uh, Hollywood says that they have antlers, but that's not real. Really? I always thought because you always imagine like a giant, like a deer like man. A deer man, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, they kind of describe it like a lizard in the book. Yeah, that's right. There is no. I don't. I can't really remember a mention of antlers, or if there was, I didn't clock it. Yeah, no. I they didn't really say anything. Like I remember them saying lizard, and I was like. That's not what I pictured at all. <laughs> well, apparently they're, um, they are, people become Wendigos. I don't oh, know. Oh, Yeah. Whoa, so, cool. um, they, oh, they also smell really bad. Oh, which that I, that's just that kind of a death. Kind of yeah. Like... yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So people can become Wendigo if you are greedy, um, oh. or if you don't, uh, respect the environment, oh. uh, in a big way, people can say you, you will become a Wendigo. That's so um, interesting. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, there is also something called Wendigo psychosis. Yeah. Whoa. It's a cultural phenomenon, uh-huh. uh, so it usually would only happen to people who, uh, you know, live in a culture like uh, Ojibwe or Cree, where they mm-hmm. uh, have been told about yeah. the Wendigo, and so it's part of their culture. Uh-huh. Um, if you develop Wendigo psychosis, uh, it's marked with a craving for human flesh. Whoa. It's marked with a fear of being a cannibal. Uh-huh. Uh, again, that greed and natural destruction. And <laughs> this got me. It could occasionally be cured by fatty meats. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> well that makes sense because that's why they say that the land was kind of cursed yeah. is in the book uh because well they imply that there were people eating people yeah. and then burying them in that burial ground yeah so, and yeah. i think it's even suggested that the idea was that they were touched by the wendigo yeah which i think is another sort of folklorish mm-hmm. might even be a little more hollywood i'm not sure but the idea that you know you get this wendigo psychosis because yeah. the wendigo touches you and if you let it get bad enough, you'll become one too. Man, that's so interesting. Yeah, I have one last uh, little recommendation around that. Uh-huh. Um, there's a podcast called That Spooky, oh, yeah. which you listen to, I think. Yeah, I love them. Uh, it's two lovely boys from Toronto. So, hey sis, we listen. Yeah. Uh, they're episode number 74 about Jack Fiddler. Uh, he was a Wendigo hunter. What? It, it cool. is, I didn't listen to that one. It's a wild story. Really? It, it Like... They do a really good job telling it. Um, oh, that's I, I don't. I don't even want to get into it because it could be. A whole, it clearly is a whole other podcast yeah. by itself. But if you want some information on Wendigos and sort of the psychosis around that, uh, mm-hmm. I'd recommend that podcast for sure. Man, that's hell interesting. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. My gift to you. Wow. Thank you. That's spooky. I this wouldn't. Is a way better podcast than our finger one. It's, <laughs> um, it's incredible <laughs> what happens when you write down your notes. Buried. Would you like to hear about what happens next? Yes, I would. Megan, you look like you're on the edge of your seat. I you're really like, am. You just read this book. I know. Like, I, now really, what? I really like this book. I gotta be honest. <laughs> it's really well done. Uh, oh, before we go into, uh, before we go any further, I would like to say, uh, if I got anything about the Wendigo or anything wrong, um, I'm not I'm Native American. I don't know a lot of yeah, specific things. Yeah, please tell us. Yeah, let us know. If you know more than we do, we would love to hear from you. Yeah, this is interesting as fuck. I'm honestly like, shit. I loved reading all of that stuff. It's, um, that's so cool. I don't know why I just didn't think Stephen King would like know enough to like uh, research this. Well, he, but, like, I know that, and I get this is off topic, I guess. Well, not really. But uh, he has a, or he used to have a guy who did all this research for him who died a few years ago. Oh, no fucking uh, And I believe... I'll see if I can find it for next week. Mm-hmm. It's in um, the liner notes of one of his short stories, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a friend of his who did all of his research for all of his books, um, I think, from the get-go. So whenever you get 
and I'm, this is a bit of an assumption I'm making, but whenever you get one of those Stephen King, like, three pages where he's just, like, describing some weird historical event, I think that's a lot of that guy's work, that Stephen King is then um, translating in. Not not that he doesn't do a great job. No, obviously. but it it's, it's sense interesting to, like, to see that that's the process. Have that, yeah. Uh, and also, it makes sense. Like, then he can focus on the writing of the story, and if he just throws a couple of ideas at this guy, he can go look up that information, and then he can fold it in. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, that's that. Lewis brings church, uh, Lewis buries church under Judd's supervision up at the burial ground. Thank you. You're welcome. Fuck. Sorry, Megan's dying to get on with this. All no, of a sudden she's livid. Nah. <laughs> I uh, want to know what happens next. <laughs> they go home and obviously church comes back the next day, all fucked up because he was dead. Yes. Um, as time goes on, Lewis starts to regret what he did and Judd apologizes. Um, they discuss the pull of the cemetery. Mm. Um, Judd really tries to hammer home to Lewis that he didn't, in the moment he thought he was doing the right thing by introducing yes. him to the cemetery, but in retrospect, he feels that it was the pull of the cemetery. He had to do it because he now belongs to that place. And there is something that Lewis brings up a lot, the concept of you you get what you buy. Yeah. Uh, where he talks about, you know, uh, church comes back and he's all fucked and he like kills a bunch of birds in a really mm -hmm. gruesome way. And Lewis without question takes it upon himself to clean up after mm -hmm. church or if church does something fucked he takes care of it because he, it's not his daughter's cat anymore it's his cat he bought this he has yeah. to pay the price for uh for what he wrought basically mm -hmm. um and more or less i think that's kind of how the first book wraps up yeah they have a little bit of foreshadowing i know there's like a really nice day that lewis and gage spend together i almost yeah. said his name gabe which I don't know why that's a thing. A better okay. name. <laughs> it is a better name. Uh, and they go and they fly kites, and mm. it's like this beautiful like father-son like bonding. And then at the end of that, they offhanded mention that Gage only has two months to live, yeah. which is such a Stephen King way of like... And they never saw each other again. Yeah, <laughs> which is, is really... It, it, it really just, you know something's going to happen, but it really, like, hits it home. That you had to know. I mean, uh, I know. Anyway, uh, this is also around the time that Judd's wife Norma dies. Oh, yeah. Um, and so they have to go to a funeral. Um, and uh, Rachel doesn't want to go to the funeral. Rachel never goes to funerals with Lewis. Yeah. And that's how she ends up telling him the story of Zelda. Yeah. Is because she's essentially justifying, like, I'm not going to be able to come to this funeral. Here's why. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she's starting to recover a little bit. She yeah. tells that story, which is really therapeutic for her. She lets Ellie go to the funeral, which mm -hmm. I don't think she would have let happen before. Oh, no, 100% no. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Like, this is, like, a big, like, shift for Rachel. And I know that they mentioned it's kind of, like, almost, like, pulling out, like, a rotten tooth or mm -hmm, something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, it is... She's been holding on to this trauma for so long, and then to be able to get it out is, like, really the first step of healing. It's 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 really interesting, like the way that Stephen King really plays with, like, the acceptance of death. Like, I think more than anything else, like, this is what this book is about. Yeah. Because you do really see well, yeah, the, yeah. the parallels between Rachel coming into, like, and accepting. And also Judd, like, as he, like, accepts, like, Norma's death. Like, it is... He's able to accept that. Yeah. And Lewis, after Gage dies, cannot. Despite the fact that he has been portrayed as having, like, this, like, really positive logical mind logical mind and like a relationship with death that makes sense but you also think about it like he never processes pascal's death no. like after that happens he really even when he comes and sees him in his sleep like he kind of puts that in a corner and it's like we're not going to deal with that i'm already starting to forget about that 
that's not a thing. Um, and he has a lot of, like, a dutiful ownership over even church. Like, he's like, this is my cat now. Like, I bought it. Yeah. But he doesn't really, like, think of it nearly as often as someone who brought a cat back from the dead should. Like, he is constantly compartmentalizing, like, everything that has happened to him over in the past year. And it's like, when Gage's death, like, finally comes around, it's just more of that. Like, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into, like, the funeral and, like, yeah. what goes on there. Because that's just, like, really indicative of his character. I mean, here we are, Meg. Oh, my God. Oh, oh my God. This so is good. the beginning yeah. of book two, several months later. <laughs> several months later. <laughs> uh, Gage gets murked by a truck. Yeah. In a really grisly way. Should I describe it? Uh, yes, you should. I mean, listen. Actually, like, I guess, like, trigger warning if you don't want to hear... About, about a toddler getting killed. Then, like, maybe don't listen to this part. Like, it could be kind of a lot. Basically, Gage runs into the street, or the road, my mistake, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Judd would have my head. <laughs> uh, runs into the road when a truck is coming, uh, the mm-hmm. truck clips him, and then drags him for about a hundred yards. Oh, and, oh god, it, oh, time and time again, Lewis recounts this in the book, where he is running after him and he sees... You know, his shoe has fallen off yeah. and then his hat has fallen off and it's full of blood. And it's just Ugh. all of this stuff where it's like, that kid's fucked, man. The, like, that kid was dead the second he stepped on the road and everything after that was just, like, disgusting gravy. I know. And um, it's so sad because it really is, like, they... Like, you don't... you And you kind of been growing up with Gage over this story and he's, like, learned to walk and now he's walking and he's, like, playing that game where you run away from your parents. Yep. And... It's all in good fun. It's all in good fun. And you do... At this point, they're really introducing kind of the idea of, like, the the pet cemetery is working to make this happen. Yeah. And Lewis mentions that a lot. He's like, you know, like, little kids, they start running, and when they start getting that fast, like, they usually tumble over, but Gage doesn't tumble over. Mm -hmm. He just keeps going, and he... Lewis is so close to catching him, he, like, reaches out for his son and just grazes, like, the back of his overalls, Mm -hmm. and, like, he just misses him, and the truck just happened to be going way faster than it should have been. Yeah, and there's something said about the truck driver as well, like, when he hit the road that morning, when he hit that particular turn Mm -hmm. he just felt like gunning it yeah no rhyme or reason for it he just did it Mm -hmm. and also i think the trucker later kills himself the trucker does kill himself later which is oh actually i don't think he succeeds in killing himself i think he tries to because i remember lewis being very like you can fucking try to kill yourself and quit your job and this that whatever but at the end of the day my fucking son is dead and like i don't care about you man yeah fuck you and it's like buddy like I don't know. Everybody's just processing the way that they can. And also, like, is that still the influence of the pet cemetery that that guy tried to kill himself? Like, yeah, who knows? Uh, we don't know how far this. Like, the, the reach of the pet cemetery is far. And we will get into yeah. it. Yeah. Um. So Rachel is obviously distraught beyond all reasonable measure. Mm-hmm. Not even reasonable measure. I mean, for somebody who's had so much, anybody losing a child like that, that's super traumatic. Oh my god. But the fact that this has such a thing about death to begin yeah. with. Yeah. And is just starting to come out of that after, mm-hmm. like, 30 years of being in it. I can only imagine how much that would destroy you. Um, Lewis himself is too torn up to be supportive in any real way, which, uh, it doesn't really cause a lot of strife with his wife, but the people around him are like, dude. Yeah. Like, support your wife, she's losing it. And he can't even himself say, oh, I'm losing it. Uh, which I think talks about, like, you know, masculinity and how we don't mm-hmm. want to be perceived as, um as showing emotion or weakness or femininity. Mm-hmm. 
But it, it's so interesting because it is, like, again, like, it does play into, like, that idea of, like, masculinity and femininity where it's, like, you know, Rachel should be comforted. Yeah. But even then, it's, like, he's not even opening himself to, like, being comforted by her. Like, they can't share in that grief together. Like, he's really, like, building himself into, like, a mountain. Like, he's, like, separating himself and, like, exiting from the situation and, like... Yeah. Which is, frankly, what she's done the whole time. I think it's a... I don't know. Everybody around sort of, like, really does give him a hard time about it. But to me, it seems like a pretty reasonable response. Like, I don't know. These are two people who really been hurt in a big way. And I guess, yeah, they're the only ones who can understand it. But, like... Mm -hmm. I think you kind of have to internalize it. That much grief, like... Yeah. Well, I don't think it's fair for Lewis to have that put on him in a way. Like, I think, like, I, I do really genuinely think that it's... It's a product of the fact that this book was written in the 80s. Yeah. And, and I think, like, today you probably would still see a lot of that. It's, like, when there is, like, a death, there are, like, certain people who will be, like tagged to be like okay well you have to be strong and you have to figure this out and that has been Lucy's character throughout yeah. the whole thing especially even with uh when pascal dies yeah he has to snap himself out of it like this kid died in his arms and he had to be like okay well now i have to turn on dr lewis yeah. like he's not being afforded the space to process because he has to immediately be like okay well now i'm dr lewis and now i'm gonna get those stupid little candy stripers to go get a gurney or a whatever, gurney yeah. or whatever and yeah, I kind of lost my... I, I, I lost no, my I, I think I, there, I, I see where you're see going, yeah. It's just like, it is really just... Um, and then to be in a space where your son just passed away and then to have your friends who have your only support network shame you for not being able to comfort your wife and your daughter. Or not you, even responding in the right way. Yeah, it's like you never know. And they say all the time, it's like you don't know how you're going to process grief. Like nobody does. Like they say it on like podcasts all the time. Oh yeah, like, like true crime shows all the time. Like yeah, we thought he did it because he didn't cry. Like um, mm. Amanda Knox. Yeah. Like that cop just decided she did it based on the way she acted. But like, I don't know, grief, everybody responds to it differently. Exactly. To me, reading Lewis's his experience, like, I don't, I don't know that I would be much different. Like, yeah. Why, why do I have to take the brunt of this? I, yeah. Maybe I'm the father. Maybe I'm the, mm -hmm. the patriarch of this family, but I'm hurting just as much as everyone else. Um, anyway, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. And I think too, like it does play in a lot, like, and it's, it's not surprising that Lewis isn't able to work through this in a super healthy way because I think he's not being given really, a proper outlet in which he's able to. And again, I do think him and Rachel really could have, it's just, it's so, it's so sad because you see her beginning to process it and like kind of like working through it in a way, like a lot of it is like kind of like panic, but it's like yeah. this person who spent this whole book being able to not deal with it is dealing with it and moving forward. And it's like, God, you know, Lewis, like, and there's a passage where it's like, if you would just let this lie, your family, it would have been hard, but you could have gotten through it. Yeah. And I guess... God, Just because you have a pet cemetery doesn't, doesn't mean you have you to use it. use the pet cemetery. <laughs> the pet cemetery shouldn't be used for that. Like, or okay. anything, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the funeral occurs. It's a sorted event. Uh, Rachel's father shows up. Her parents come down from Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, they've had a tumultuous relationship with Lewis for years. Uh, they do not get along. The yeah. father tried to buy Lewis off because they thought... I, the idea that he's a doctor and they were just like, you fucking dirty scrub. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to buy him off um, so that he will, like, leave Rachel and he doesn't do it. Yeah. Um, 
the her father gets hammered at the um at the funeral drunk dad oh yeah i was looking for a drunk dad i found my drunk dad oh thank goodness um and insults lewis who responds by punching him in the face um a fight ensues in which lewis pushes eventually the father uh father-in-law into the casket which falls to the ground blessedly does not open i that is a horrifying sequence well it's so gross because then the father comes back at him and eventually gets lewis down on the ground and is just fucking kicking the shit out of him at his son's funeral while rachel is over in the corner just screaming Uh, well because what the fuck else do you do can you imagine being at your child's funeral and your dad is beating up your husband i put me in that fucking coffin i mean honestly honestly so fucking somebody takes rachel out and gives her a a sedative Mm -hmm. uh and that's sort of the end of the the funeral proceedings um obviously we know where this is going yeah i mean slowly we watch lewis decide uh to bury gage at the pet cemetery uh he plans it all out methodically um thinking like if gage comes back and he's all fucked up uh i'll be able to kill him again Mm -hmm. um and no one will be the wiser like i i'm gonna plan it out in such a way that uh it's an experiment that i'm doing Mm -hmm. because judd does warn him after the funeral and he comes and visits him and is essentially like, I know what you're thinking. Like, I know what Obviously you're Obviously, you're thinking about... Yeah, like, you got the pet cemetery right there. <laughs> I don't know. And shares a story about... Do you have the name of the kid? Timmy Baderman. Timmy Baderman, who was buried. He'd gone off to the war. Mm-hmm. He'd been shot. He came back in a casket. There's, yep. like, a really long part where they talk about the the grave train essentially that like brought Timmy Baderman in right on. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, I don't know. I don't really understand why they included that, but okay, that's fine. Might just be like an interesting fact. I think it is just, again, like, yeah, just, it's just there. Um, that's it's also like tone building. Like the idea of a train flying by just with a bunch of bodies on it and that's it. Oh God. (laughs) Yeah. That is really just, um, and Judd tells the story of how his father, who he notes, um, which I thought was interesting, he makes mention of the fact that Timmy Baderman was the dad's only child and that the wife had passed away uh, years ago. Mm -hmm. And he was able to reconcile the decision to bury him and have him come back to life by saying, like, oh, well, you know, what's the father's name? Do you have it written down? Uh, I don't have it. I just have uh, The dad. Big Papa Baderman. Big big Daddy Baderman is, like, you know, it's a more justifiable decision justifiable decision because you know he had no other kids and he didn't have a wife but lewis you have a daughter and you have a wife Mm -hmm. like come on man (laughs) don't don't bury that baby in the cemetery like there's so many reasons not to literally a million reasons uh when judd is telling him that story yeah sorry not to call cut cut me off uh he and his boys uh, not his children because he doesn't have any just like his, his bros yeah uh, they set out to kill the return to Timmy after he creeps the whole town out by A walking down the road all day all weird like <laughs> and B by being a reanimated corpse because <laughs> it wasn't it was everybody knew that he died in the war yeah everyone's like oh yeah old Mr. Baderman's one kid died in the war and, and like they brought his body and now yeah, his body yeah, yeah. is here and that's that on that and then all of a sudden he's just wandering around everyone's like uh yeah what the fuck and it's the Pet Cemetery is one of those things that, like, not everybody knows about, but, like, enough people know about yeah. it that basically Judd drove by and was like, all right. 
Which is such a... It would be funny if it wasn't so fucking horrifying. <laughs> um, so Judd is... Sorry, this sorry, is no, so... Can you imagine living in that town... And just driving by, yeah. And, but then just, like, knowing, like, when you see a reanimated corpse, like, you're just like, ugh, like, again. <laughs> um, there is a show, uh, it's a, it's from France. Okay. Um, I think it's called The Returned. Okay. Uh, or something like that. And it's about, um, this little town in this, like, really remote area of France mm-hmm. where, um, one day all the dead come back. Oh, cute. That's fine. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's all done really well um Mm. and it sort of follows them over the course of uh a year or so Mm. um and i i haven't even finished it it's really really good but it's sort of uh the same thing like what would you do if people just sort of like walked up and were dead huh like how how does someone respond to that without going fucking crazy oh my god but i guess you don't as we learn from uh so they um they go to kill the thing or at least to like put an end to all of this Mm. Uh, and this Timmy monster thing basically just hits them with some irrefutable truths, uh, and secrets about each of them. Just, like, some really yeah. dark, fucked up shit that is definitely true about each of them. Oh my god. Um, I, were you gonna say something? Uh, you finish your thought. Okay. Um, they freak out and fuck off. Timmy's, uh, father a few days later re-kills him and himself. Um, bringing an end to that. I guess he just couldn't handle living with it. When Judd and his friends show up, it seems like the father's gone completely off the rails to begin with. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you're living with a fucking... Not even a, something worse than a zombie. Uh, yeah, a zombie with brains. An all-knowing... Just yeah, mean being. for no reason. Oh, <laughs> my God. Um. Okay, so they talk about how Judd's, like, little secret thing that, like, he did that was bad. Are you going to talk about Norma's? I am going to talk about Norma's, but I'm going to talk about... There's three things I want to talk... This is a three-part thing I want to talk okay, about. Okay, make Norma's the last one because I have it. It's in here, and I'd like to bring it up as a point. So don't say that one. Go ahead. Um, Judd, his little secret thing that he does is he goes and he sees, like, prostitutes. That's, like, he does it. Sex workers. Sex workers. Sorry. That's, sorry. Sex workers. Um, and, um, he goes and sees them, which is, like, whatever. I mean, honestly, like, it's fine. Um, but did you clock that Lewis had? There's a throwaway line in... Uh, and I made a note of it because it was so pointed. I don't remember the exact part, but he mentions that he went and saw a sex worker six years ago. Huh. Yeah. And. Are you sure it wasn't? 100% it's Lewis. Because he says, I saw a sex worker six years ago because I remember thinking he would have been with Rachel at that point. And they were together. Rachel and him were together for 10 years. I wrote that down, too, because I was like, the timeline. Yeah. And she was probably pregnant with Ellie at that time. Yeah. And Louis just went and saw a prostitute six years ago. And that's just, like, a funny thing that's in the book that they never bring up again. Man, I I must have misread it because I read it as Judd did that the last time that Judd did that was six years ago. But it was a part where they were talking about... they. We didn't know that Judd was doing that at that point. I'm gonna I'm going to say that you're right. I trust you. It was in the part where he had a... He was retelling the story of how Rachel's dad had tried to bribe him. Right. And that's... Okay, yeah. When he mentions that he's oh, seen okay. a pros, pro, uh, sex worker. Yeah, I must have blazed right by that. That's... Huh. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. I'll fact check it, but like... No, I, I, I believe you. wrote it down because I was like, this is really interesting i guess i mean it's just one of those things that people do right and it was just like there's a lot of things in the book that 
And it's kind of like that 43 or 44 steps mm. where they just don't come back to it. And yeah. it's just there to kind of build character, I guess. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just interesting. It's not everything in the book has to lead to something, which is funny when you expect everything in the book to lead to something. Well, it's such a Stephen King thing that every little thing means something, right? Yeah. Uh, so did you have your a second thing? Well, that was the second thing. Oh, I was telling you what Judd did and then, and then what okay. Lewis yeah. <laughs> did. And now you can talk about Norma. Well, I'll get there. Okay. I, 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 I'm I going to bring it up in a dramatic way. Okay. We're going to get there. Okay, perfect. I love that. Um, so um, I want, personally me, I wanted to try and pinpoint the moment where Lewis snaps and fully commits to Ooh. the idea, um, to his plan. Of Barry engaged. Of Barry engaged in the Pet Cemetery. Yes. Because we know that he's been dancing around the idea, but he still hasn't quite convinced himself yes. or decided. Um, and I wanted, and I always, it's, in a movie, again, you can do it with a look. You can do it with music. You can mm -hmm. do it with this. In a book, you have to do it with words. Yeah. And I like the idea that in stories like this, where a character snaps and makes a big decision like that, uh -huh. you can pinpoint the exact moment that it happens. That's fun. So. Yes. I'm going to pick up okay. my copy of Pet wow. Cemetery. Wow. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to flip to chapter 42. Uh, so if, if you're reading along, uh, his yeah. inner dialogue flips almost imperceptibly from the whispered, what if you did it though, voice mm. to the, oh my God, why are you doing this voice? Um, and it's sort of like the flip that we're going to see with him and Rachel. Okay. Yeah. Um, where she sort of has to take the, uh, the protagonist role once he completely goes off the rails. Yeah. Over the course of that chapter, he makes the choice. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't quite pinpoint the exact line where it happens, the closest I could get was, uh, for Lewis, the final piece fell into place with a neat little click. Oh. That's when he decides to send Rachel and Ellie to Chicago mm -hmm. so that uh, they won't be there and he can bury Gage. And if things go tits up, there will be no one there to witness it. It'll be his own experiment. Mm -hmm. That's that on that. Um, it's so interesting looking at you holding this. It's like there is a full, like, there's not very much book left after that decision. Yeah. And it's yet I still not, have, like, four pages of notes. Well, like, <laughs> but it's, it's so, like, the pacing really picks up in, like, such an interesting way. It yeah. really goes at such a clip. Like, it's, like, really, like... It's, it's well, and this is it. You get to this point, you just want to get to it, because it's so yeah, exciting. Yeah, 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 uh, So, um, Lewis, is, Lewis sending Rachel and Ellie to Chicago is what I see as the beginning of the pervasion of his profession as a doctor, um, which is sort of something that, uh, from this point on in the book, um, mm -hmm. every time he brings up being a doctor... It is twisted in some way mm. where where he has been very logical and very um, rational thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, that rationality is now um, poisoned somehow. So yeah. the way that he talks about his work, it, it there's something there's a, like a nugget of evil in it now. Mm -hmm. um, and I to me, it's, you know, that, that Dr. Creed of like ooh, a doctor's creed. Oh, like their name, uh, of first do no harm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says straight up, he sends Rachel and Ellie away, mm -hmm. saying that this is going to be great for you, this is going to be good for you, you need this, mm -hmm. knowing, and he says in his internal dialogue, he knows that it's healthier for people to stay in the place yeah. where a tragedy happened because it helps you desensitize to mm -hmm. it, um, you don't build it up as much in your head, mm -hmm. it's more of a reality, you're not mm -hmm. running away from it. Mm -hmm. And despite knowing that, he sends them away. Someone who would never have done that before, this perversion, this snap, this is a little later on. It's kind of when he's um, when he's coming to terms with the experiment that he's going to mm -hmm. uh, that he's going to go into. Anyway, here we go. I will make a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I will make a diagnosis not only of his body but of his spirit. I will make allowances for the trauma of the accident itself, which he may or may not remember. Keeping the example of church before me, I will expect retardation, 
perhaps mild, perhaps profound. I will judge our ability to reintegrate Gage into our family on the basis of what I see over a period of from 24 to 72 hours. And if the loss is too great, or if he comes back as Timmy Baderman apparently came back as a thing of evil, I will kill him. And it's, it's, end quote, sorry. It's like he, it's like he's writing a medical article. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's that logical mind, mm -hmm. but it's now being used for something that is not necessarily illogical because mm -hmm. it is very real to him. And in, yeah. in, in this universe, we know that it is a thing that happens. It just goes so far. It is so far removed from the way that he would have thought from the get go. And, and he always considers himself a doctor. Like he's yeah. a healer. That's really what he's all about. Just the idea that it could worm its way into that part of his psyche, mm -hmm. um, almost as a tool to convince him to to do this thing. Like that's the influence that the pet cemetery has. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. No, it is really interesting. I think it's kind of cool because like this, and I guess we'll probably talk a little about this a little bit more. But it's like he really is the perfect vessel for this. Yeah. Like this whole uh, time we're talking about the pet cemetery. It's gaining power. It's like uh, it's like a battery. Like yeah. it's charging. Oh, it, it's, it ebbs. Oh, sorry. Let me. I wrote something down about this because it's mm -hmm. again such a Stephen Kingism mm -hmm. of um, the concept of an undulating force that lies just beyond the veil, ebbing and flowing like the tide over millennia. Yeah, it's it's just it's a really interesting idea, and it's like this whole book is basically uh, by the end of the book, you realize every single thing that has happened was meant to get specifically Lewis Creed into this fucking house so that he can manifest this power in some way. That's and exactly right. He has to be that person. Judd has lived across the street for his entire life and they haven't done that with him because it I Judd is an enemy of the of the Senate Yeah, or exactly. Of the, of the exactly. There. Like he and it's something with his character, it's something in the way his mind works. Like Lewis is so susceptible to the power of this house. Do you know what it is? It's almost like you know how you hear about smart people falling for, like, cons because they don't think they can be fooled? Yeah! Yeah, 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 yeah. That's kind of the vibe here. It's like, it needed someone like Lewis who was open enough to the concept, mm -hmm. like, thought in such a rational way that if he was given rational proof, uh, that it would be easy for him to follow through with it. Well, exactly, because he's rationalizing this whole thing, and he's a very logical person yeah. with, like, a very logical brain, and he is so close to death and birth and all of that because of his profession as a doctor yeah. that he is kind of the perfect candidate for this. All like, he needed was a little, like, hard evidence to convince mm -hmm. him. And that um, was church. Yeah. Sorry, I dropped my book. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I ripped a page right out. Um, and even that, it's, like, more, I don't know. There's just, it's, I'll, I'll say, I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is, like, a perfectly written book. It's like, fucking it, it incredible, yeah. really, every piece of it comes together in a way that, like, works really well. It really does. Lewis's plan begins to unravel almost immediately, but in such a way to suggest that he will succeed, just not on his own terms. So mm -hmm. Lewis has deluded himself into thinking that he can outsmart the pet <laughs> cemetery. <laughs> Whatever, man, sure. Yeah. Uh, we, um... We've danced around it up until this point, uh, but now we're faced with the Pet Cemetery as this ancient, pervasive, mm -hmm. powerful force that kind of makes its own fate. Yeah. Um, it, or it is it, it is part of the grand tapestry of fate within, you mm -hmm. know, the fabric of the universe or whatever. Uh, it is speculated that it influenced Gage's death rate from the get-go, as yeah. we've said. Um, 
when Ellie goes buck fucking wild in Chicago, once uh, <laughs> she and Rachel get back there, we can interpret this and Rachel's response as further influence. Uh, even when Lewis buys their tickets in the first place, he sort of notices how oddly it all lined up, uh, but then he rejects it. Mm-hmm. And I just have another quick quote for you here. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, get fucked, he told Judge. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, get fucked, he told Judd's voice rudely. I've learned to accept a great many strange things in the last 10 months, my good old friend. Mm-hmm. But am I ready to believe that a haunted patch of ground can influence airline ticketing? I don't think so. I, I think, think that, so. I think, I think so. so. I think so. <laughs> um, here's a... Uh, we can talk about this a little bit more. We can talk about it maybe not so much. But Ellie and... Because Ellie fully gets visions yeah. of what's going to happen. Do you think that that is working to help or to hinder the pet cemetery i'm glad you asked yeah. because i didn't think about it until i was finishing up my, my when mm-hmm. i was like writing this part of the book um mm-hmm. <laughs> i say that like i wrote the book yeah <laughs> when i was writing about this part of the book this yeah morning. um hang tight on that for one second because i am going to come back to it okay everything boils down to the night that rachel and ellie leave yes sorry we, we're, we are going to talk about exactly what you talked about okay, right now, okay. but no, we're no, coming no. into the climax yeah. folks <laughs> come on back home <laughs> Um, Lewis buys some obviously for grave robbing, grave robbing tools <laughs> and steals Gage's body from its grave. He zips back home and moseys on out to the real pet cemetery. Um, he has an encounter with the Wendigo. I'm putting it in quotes because we're still, it's just a giant being and I guess you can call it a Wendigo. Yeah. But I, I don't know. There's not really a lot of cannibalism happening here. I think Wendigo is the word that Stephen King is using to just give a face to this unknowing being i think yep i think it's the god of the lost <laughs> i'm glad that's you... the why i thought i was as i was listening to this i was like motherfucker that's why i thought that that these this and the girls who love tom gordon were connected yep i'm put it in the skew 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 that's the stephen king universe yeah we haven't really <laughs> talked about that that much we haven't we, we need a whiteboard or something <laughs> we can put our strings on connect everything um Lewis does the deed, buries Gage, mm-hmm. whole last thing. Uh, meanwhile, Judd is trying to keep watch because he fucking knows. Oh my god! He's yeah. like, obviously, this guy's gonna bury. <laughs> like, there's yeah. no way around it. Um, so he is trying to keep watch, but he nods off, uh, which is apparently from the influence of the cemetery. Yep. Or the evil behind it, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. This is kind of around the time that Judd starts uh, somehow almost conversing with it. He knows that he's an enemy of it because he tried to stop it once before. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows that he also belongs to it in a certain way because he's he's used the cemetery. Yeah. And that, I think, is what pissed off the entity that much. It's like, you would dare use my power and then try to take it back? Like, yeah. that's not how this fucking works. Mm-hmm. Um, so, old man falls asleep. Maybe it's his fault. Maybe it's the thing. Um, fucking... Rachel finally clicks back into sanity and pieces together that something beyond natural understanding is going on. Uh, she has a harrowing but badass journey back to Ludlow, uh, which is, again, plagued by the influence this whole time. This is a cool part, yeah. reading, because they switch perspectives. For the first time. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And they're switching between Lewis, Rachel, and Judd. And I imagine it was probably really hard to summarize, but it's like... Two- it was. <laughs> <laughs> three storylines are happening all at the same time and they're constantly referring to like okay rachel is in the car she's driving from portland to um bangor bangor and at this time 
Judd has just fallen asleep at this time, you know... Lewis is Lewis seeing is, the shadow in the woods. Exactly. Yeah. It's really, like, it's just... It, it is happening so fast. It's that, it's that clip that always... Mm-hmm. Oh, these books always end with, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, we we should talk about what, uh, what you were talking about when Ellie starts to lose it. Yeah. Um, before we get too into it, I just want to read a small... Uh, sorry, I've got a lot of quotes kind of in the back half of this book. Yeah. Um... But this, I think, feeds exactly into what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's a quote from Ellie in chapter... Something, whatever. When she and Rachel are in mm-hmm. Chicago at, uh, at the airport. Um, you dreamed someone named Paxco took you to the pet cemetery, said Rachel. Yes, that's what he said his name was. And Ellie's eyes suddenly widened. Do you remember something else? He said that he was sent to warn, but that he couldn't interfere. Mm-hmm. He said that he was... I don't know... That he was near daddy because they were together when his soul was dis... Dis... I can't remember. (laughs) I think that suggests that there is an equal opposing force. Ah. um, That is sort of Pasco's nature. Mm -hmm. Um, From the get-go when Pasco's introduced as as Ghost Pasco. Or even the words he says when he... His dying words. Mm -hmm. Don't go beyond the pet cemetery. We do have to assume that that is... Eight something working against. Yeah, it's like the foil of the pet cemetery. Yeah, is this young man? Yeah, we don't know what it is, and he's clearly using Ellie as kind of a conduit. But also, Ellie, had she not freaked out at the airport, Rachel would not have gone back, and Rachel would have escaped this whole thing. So yes, yes, yes. So, 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 so. Yeah. <laughs> if Pasco had never, I mean, okay. If we're gonna look, okay. Okay, <laughs> get into it. Get into it. I don't I don't even, say about this. I, so do I. God. Yeah. Um, if there is only the one force, mm-hmm. and it is the cemetery, or whatever, did it influence Pasco to say that as his dying words, to set in motion? The whole uh, events? Like, how far back does it go? Like, if there is no other force, if, like, what you're saying is true, that if Ellie hadn't been contacted by Pasco, Rachel never would have gone back, meaning the events at the end of the book, mm-hmm. the, the truest tragedy at the end of the book doesn't happen, mm-hmm. you can argue that it is all the cemetery. Yeah. I, I, I do think that, but I do think as well, it's like, Lewis never listened. He never listened to... Anybody. <laughs> he never, well, yeah, I didn't listen to fucking anybody. Lewis just was on his own fucking journey mm. this whole time. <laughs> so then, to what end was the point of him even bringing him to the pet cemetery to... And to show Lewis the true nature of it prior to Judd even introducing the idea of bringing the cat mm-hmm. there, he warned him and was like, look at this. Look at these fucking deadfall bones. Look at this, like... This is not what it seems to be don't come here. I told you once, don't come here. I'm going to tell you again, don't come here. And now you're not listening to me, so I'm going to tell your daughter not to come here. I I think he is obviously an opposing force to the pet cemetery. Mm-hmm. But I think even his abilities were almost influenced by the cemetery at a certain point as well. Yep. Like uh, Because it's clear that, especially after Lewis Berry's gauge... That is very obvious 
that that the cemeteries gained more power from that. Like, yeah. that is, like, the first step. And I will say, prior to leaving, Ellie was already very, like, we shouldn't go at all. Yeah. So She's got I, a, a bad vibe. Yeah. yeah. The, I think, like, the communication started, like, almost prior to them leaving. Yeah, it did. So, is it just bad luck? But bad luck doesn't exist in this book. Like, what is this? Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, the way everything wraps up at the end, you're like, mm-hmm. it... You didn't make your own fate here. It was no. chosen for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I get. I mean, if we want to talk about it as that undulating force that's sort of just mm-hmm. working, oh, like the Lovecraftian yeah. sea that is, you know, uh, I guess it's easy to say that there's, you know, those opposing forces of good and evil that aren't always in equal measure, but they mm-hmm. ebb and flow. And as the cemetery gains power maybe it can corrupt things like Pasco or... Yeah, or, again, it can... I think Pasco is... the He is very obviously the good force, but can his own decisions and his own uh, influence be controlled and twinged manipulated. and manipulated yeah. so that even the well-meaning warnings are still pushing... To this inevitable fate of yeah. Rachel, like... as Yeah, as scared as Lewis was that first time Pasco took him to the grave, mm-hmm. was it sort of just like Judd taking him to the grave? Like, if he had never gone out there, he he never would have known that there was anything to be scared of, necessarily. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, fear is, uh, fear is intoxicating. Mm. Like, just because something is scary doesn't mean you aren't gonna go look at it. Like, this is the prime example. Lewis was told on multiple occasions in mm-hmm. a very spooky way yeah. not to go over there, <laughs> and he fucking did it anyway. It's, I guess it's just about the nature of whatever these forces are, and we don't really know yeah. what they are. It's fun to discuss, though. It is fun to discuss. I think Ellie is a really interesting character in this Sweet book. summer child. Oh, God, we love... We, we love, love a sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, She's no God. Pepsi Robichaux. She has a little friend, though. Who's a Pepsi? I made a note of it. We can come back to that because that is not important. Let's finish this. <laughs> yeah, who's the Pepsi Robo show yeah. in this book? That's what I want to know. <laughs> there is one, but um, go on. The only other thing in that sequence that I wanted to talk about was pay toilets. Oh my god, yes. Is that a thing? Yeah. In a lot of places. That's so bananas to me. The yeah. fact that you have to like pay a dime to take a piss or whatever. I didn't know that they did it in the States. I knew it was a European Europe thing. A lot. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize. Maybe it's an airport thing in the States. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. I've been to some I mean, maybe it's just the 80s. Yeah, it could be the 80s. They wanted It's money pretty fucking elitist to be like, yeah, no, you're going to pop a quarter in here if you want to take a dump. Man. Um, okay, so are you ready? We're getting into the, the final, final yes. act here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Gage comes back. Duh. Uh, in the morning, mm-hmm. he steals Lewis's doctor's scalpel from his doctor's sack. Yep. Uh, he pops on over to Judd's and cuts him up real good, but not before revealing that Norma was a big hoe. Yeah! Which is, that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> she is just the nicest old lady, and then it turns out, and we have to assume it's true, because, because I think... everything they've set up to this point is true. Exactly. So Norma, the sweet bacon cookies lady, was just out here fucking all of Judd's friends for years. <laughs> and it's... I didn't think that was necessary. I also didn't think that was necessary. I was like, man, Norma was... Norma was... You know, to be fair, though, Judd was visiting sex workers. Yeah. And she clearly, like, if within the parameters of their relationship that was okay, then, like, more power to you. Like, get it, King. But, like, it wasn't. 
Norma wasn't happy about that. Yeah. So you know what, Norma? Go fuck his friends. Go fuck... I guess so. Go fuck all his friends, I guess. I, I guess it's... This is sort of a theme that comes up in this book a lot about, you know, the duality of people and yeah. how, uh, you know, Judd is a really likable character. Norma's mm-hmm. a really likable character. They've done bad things. Totally. Um, Lewis, I'm sure, has done bad things. I mean, all of this, mm-hmm. every no one is perfect. It's uh, Everyone's a normal person, I think, is what we're supposed to yeah. kind of take away from it. Which I think is a really, not to come back to the moving finger, but we discussed that a lot. Just like, the wife in that story was loving and caring and a racist piece of shit. You yeah, know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. that is, like, if ever there was a Duality. Stephen Kingism, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, all right, this is the last. This is it. Are yeah, you ready? Yeah, we're, we're you ready? there. Yeah, we did it. Rachel mm. <laughs> Rachel finally... <laughs> Jeez, uh, gets there, uh, and she is straight up immediately killed by Gage, Ugh. and it's super infuriating. The last twenty pages or so, you've watched Rachel come out of this fugue state that she's mm-hmm. been in. You could argue almost the whole book. Yeah, it's like you finally she's got a task that she needs to accomplish. She knows something's wrong. Mm-hmm. She knows she needs to save Lewis, and it's so cool. Her yeah. little fucking montage sequence where she's like racing back. You're like, yeah, fucking go, Rachel. Mm-hmm. I always knew you were my favorite character, and then she immediately gets killed. <laughs> it's like fucking The Shining when um, Halloran finally shows up to oh save the day and immediately gets killed. You're like, but... Oh, no! <laughs> um, so Lewis gets up all chipper, uh, and then he clues in that shit's fucked. Yeah. He goes to Judd's and finds uh, Judd and Rachel's bodies. Uh, oh, sorry, on the way there, he kills Church with a hypodermic needle full of yeah. murder drugs. Murder drugs. Well, okay, so Church has just been like... His little fucking accomplice this whole time. Yeah. Gage and him roll up at Judd's. And, like, he trips Judd. Yep. But the cat stands behind him. Yeah. And he trips over the cat. And it's like, this cat has been passively evil this whole time. And we know that. But just to see it where it's like, oh, you were just waiting for Gage to come. Yeah. So you guys could just fuck shit up together. Or whatever. It's funny to think about how much the cemetery influences these things it brings back. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, the cat's kind of fucked, but, like, it's still a cat. Yeah. And it, I don't know, like, does it have the intelligence of a cat? But is it being made to do things? Mm -hmm. Like, does it go behind, like, does it trip Judd consciously? Or is it made to do that? Or is everything it does calculated? My thought was, like, it's sort of, that the cemetery, these are just, like, puppets for the cemetery at this so point. So it's, it's in complete control. I think the cemetery is in complete control of it. I think it's in complete control of the cat, and I think it's in complete control of Gage. Okay. Like, left hand, right hand kind of a thing. Gotcha. Like, that is, like, how the cemetery... It can't. The cemetery can't do these things, but yeah. it can have these vessels Agents, that do yeah. these things for it. And I think that... My theory is that it is in complete control of both of them. It and makes they a lot of sense. Work as a single unit, but obviously that's why it would want a human because there's only so much you can do as a cat. Like I mean, honestly. with that attitude, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, <laughs> excuse me, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. I I guess the, you could also say that maybe be, since. Um, its power is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not have been in complete control before, but now it is. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, you could argue it either way. At the end of the day, it's just sort of how the book went. Mm-hmm. So I guess we don't really have to know. 
Anyway, yeah, it kills Church with a syringe full of murder drugs. <laughs> the kind of the doctors just keep around, I guess. In your house. In, yeah. Your two kids. Where do you put yours? Obviously. Uh, he and Gage have their final showdown. Uh, he does kill Gage in the same way as he kills Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he sits down on a corner like a gremlin for a while. <laughs> uh, and then he burns the house down. Yeah. It's all very, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, and so we finally come into the final sequence of the book. The house mm-hmm. is burning. Um, Steve his friend from the, uh, from the campus or the yeah, campus hospital. Yeah, who drives a motorcycle. Who drives a motorcycle. Yeah, hot, hot Steve on his motorcycle. <laughs> He's rolling up on his wheels. Yeah. Um, he shows up when the whole neighborhood kind of turns out to see this fire mm-hmm. early morning. Everyone wants to see what's going on. He looks over towards Lewis's house trying to see if he can find him and he mm-hmm. catches Lewis uh, just a glimpse of him dragging something up the trail towards the pet cemetery and he's like yeah. I guess I'll go see what that's all about mm-hmm. he gets over there Lewis's hair is all gone white which I looked up and that's not a real thing um <laughs> and that's the fucking the you lost me listen <laughs> don't lie so he goes over to check it out um yeah. and he's like alright something weird's going on here mm-hmm. I don't I think Lewis is like, this is my wife in this sack. Yeah. And uh, is like, do you want to come help me bury her? And Steve, for half a second, is like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking. Cool. Yeah. He gets, I think he gets like halfway up the deadfall. He gets to the top of it and then looks down uh, and sees Lewis and his, I think his mind turns. Yeah. And he decides not to do it. Hurts himself, kind of falls off the deadfall and then immediately moves to St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> as you do. Yeah. 27th City, baby. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Beautiful arch. <laughs> no when to go. <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> I mean, listen. Nothing travels. I guess, yeah. Uh, finally, we, uh, we're we brought back to Lewis. He's sitting at his kitchen table sometime mm-hmm. later playing solitaire. He hears the door open. A mm-hmm. uh, hand lands on his shoulder. He smells something bad. And he hears the words, darling. Oh my god. And that's how the book ends. Uh, and that's Pet Cemetery. Man. <laughs> And it's a great it book. Is such it a is book. a great it is book. Fucking amazing. Ugh. Like even you retelling it, I was like, yeah, yeah. And then what happens? And then what happens? <laughs> I just, I literally, I that part with Rachel, I yeah. was listening to that as I was walking to your house. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, I don't know. I could just go on. I could just gush. I guess like final thoughts. Well, let's have a little break and we'll come back yeah. with, uh, with adaptations and stuff. Stephen Welcome back. Hi. 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 Are you guys Welcome. sick of us yet? Yeah. <laughs> I am. Two hours later. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. We were like, I don't know. It feels good to know that we can um, bang a big, good, long Stephen King book out in yeah. a couple hours, though. Uh, I'm sure we'll cut this down. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not gonna lie to you, I kind of love a good two-hour podcast sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff that we can cut out as well. You guys will never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what yeah. was your favorite part of Pet Cemetery? That's a big question. Uh, yeah, as somebody who just yelled about how the whole thing is a masterpiece. Yeah, like, I know. It is. I have favorite parts, and then I guess I have favorite things about mm-hmm. this book. Like, I, um, my favorite part is the part where, fuck, I have a few favorite parts, honestly. It's hard. Um, I really, in terms of just, like, writing, the sequence when Victor Pasco dies and then takes Lewis to the pet cemetery is my favorite part of that book. I think it is 
really well written. I think it is beautifully done. I love... I'm coming to understand that I love a Stephen King outdoor in the woods scene. Yeah. He writes it in a way that just is so magical to me. Yeah. That it's like, you. I really feel like I'm there in those moments. I similarly also love that in The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. Like, any, like, good, like, evening woods scene. And it really did have, like, a very haunting quality about it. It was not scary, to me, this on the reread, this wasn't as scary. And I think because I listened to it as an audio. Yeah. And it wasn't really scary. It was scary when I was a kid. But coming back to it, it was just really beautiful. And then my favorite part in terms of just the whole book would be that last sequence where it's the three... Yeah. Kind of stories. everything from that point Yeah, on. coming, like, all together into one. I, like, overall, I found the pacing of this book, and I said this earlier... The pacing was so good. I loved that it was such a lull for so long. And then it really picked up. And then that, like, end bit was just so quick. Yeah. And so punchy. And it just, like, kept you, like, on the edge of the seat the whole time. Like, that was... It, this is really well written. Yeah. There's just a lot of shit that's really well written in the book. And that end sequence. And then the Victor Pasco like, death. And then to the cemetery sequence. Fucking out of control. Amazing. I don't even think I can argue that. Yeah. I mean, even just thinking about it while you're talking, I don't... There is no particular moment in the book that stands out to me more than any other moment. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it just works so well as, like, a rich tapestry. There's so much you can take out of it. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, we've yelled about it for hours. Yeah. Um, I think, for me, the moment that stayed with me the most from my first read mm -hmm. was that moment when he flips back the sheets after he goes out with Pascal oh, and yeah. discovers that he wasn't dreaming. Yeah. Because I think that got me the first time I read it where I was like, whoa! <laughs> Hold on, is this some sort of horror novel? Yeah. <laughs> what would you rate it? I would rate it, I think this is a perfect movie book. Movie book. Uh, this is a perfect book. I'm thinking of what I want to say about the adaptations. Okay. Because I think that, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I don't think there's ever been a good adaptation of this book. Because I think tonally they are getting it completely wrong. Okay. Because I think, and this is my like final, these are my thoughts on Pet Cemetery. Yep. And it is a scary book. It is very scary, but it is not a book that is only scary. And I think it doesn't get treated with the same kind of reverence as a lot of other Stephen King books. Like, let's say necessarily like The Shining or, um, even, like, a Stand By Me or, like, a Green Mile, like, a story that is about... This is a story about a family grieving. This is about death. This is about how people process death. This is a really, honestly, very beautiful story about a family that has been touched by tragedy. Yeah. And how they deal with it. And it obviously has supernatural elements in which that is the titular pet cemetery. And... There are obviously very scary parts of it, but I think that it is more than anything else just a story about death and life, and I think it's a really beautiful story, and I think, like, I, reading it, was really moved by a lot of the characters, and I think that, if nothing else, every movie is trying to make Pet Cemetery into, like, a nightmare on Elm Street, but I think it should be made at the very least into like a hereditary. Yeah. You know, like that is a story about family 
grief. Grief and politics and... I mean, listen, how... get Ari Aster on it because that's what his movies are all about. That, and would, fucking... be, that would be perfect. I want a The Shining style yeah. adaptation of Pet Cemetery that takes this book as seriously as it should be taken yeah. because it is honestly really fucking good. This is a perfect book. It is not bloated with garbage like yeah. you remember when we were talking about um the tommy knockers the tommy knockers or even again i like the girl who loved tom gordon i think that's a good book but even some of the framings of like being like and it's about baseball also you're like okay fine whatever like that's a fun like thing it was like nothing in this book didn't need to be there yeah and maybe you disagree but i no, i don't at all i don't at all i think it was just it was a really well thought out concise story and i just i just fucking love it yeah this is this is this is a diet coke in a can listen i can't even argue it i don't even want to talk about the adaptations any more than that because you're right they don't take it seriously Mm -hmm. they're almost offensive i I say that i i I can't say that in full confidence because i haven't seen them i've only heard about them Mm -hmm. read reviews um i'm open to watching them but you're right i don't i think if they were that good we would remember them as a shining quality film Mm -hmm. and it's a shame that it hasn't had that treatment yet it's not it's not fair no it's not fair this is a really good book (laughs) and it deserves better i just i just think it's really good justice for pet cemetery justice for fucking pet cemetery take it seriously it's a really good book and i just i don't know i i think it's a really good piece about just people and like and there's a lot of obviously supernatural elements to it but i think overall it's like though that it's a good story like people should read it yeah how how people wouldn't guess that it's about a kid being buried in a i just don't understand why that fucking pissed me off so much (laughs) i will say i was listening to this at work as i told you and um not only is this not a great thing for people to walk in on you listening to Mm -hmm. but i also listen to audiobooks really quickly so it's like 1.75 speed oh my god michael c halt (laughs) speed rapping pet cemetery (laughs) to you so i got a lot of really weird looks this past weekend i can imagine you did (laughs) i I don't know she has a podcast it's uh (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a Diet Coke in a can. I'm not even gonna argue it. Diet Coke in a can. Perfect. You can't be, I mean, it's such a classic. You can't do better than Pet Cemetery. You really can. I don't know, like, what we're gonna... I'm excited to read some of his other work that I haven't had a chance to really delve into, because I think so far we've done a lot of ones that I've read numerous times. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we should decide what we're gonna do next week. I don't think we've actually... Oh, fuck, yeah. I have I have a pitch. Okay. I have a pitch. I think uh, I would be interested in doing a novella next. Oh, that's a good idea. Because um, we've done... I guess you could call Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon a novella. It's not super long. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was it was presented as a full book. Yeah. So I think we can call it a full book. Um, Moving Fingers, a short story. That's a... <laughs> Pet Cemetery is a book. Pet Cemetery is a book. book. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pitch The Langoliers. Spencer! Oh, I don't know. Is it too soon? <laughs> Great Langoliers. <laughs> Listen, I th- okay. I good. Here's my pitch. Okay. Are you ready? Are you I'm sitting ready. down? I'm sitting. First of all, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, okay. I don't remember. <laughs> I okay. No. Um, 
I would like to take a story like the Langoliers that is kind of wacky in the way that the moving finger is kind of wacky and try to do it with a little more uh, uh, stability than our moving finger episode to see if we can. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm interested. I think that's a good idea because I think this was a very, this is a very serious I think we need something lighter. Yeah, Yeah, maybe something a little bit lighter to just like cleanse the palate. I will do the Langoliers. I'm going to say, though, if we don't do it justice, I'm putting Langoliers in the vault. It can live with the Tommyknockers. Listen, <laughs> we could just do the Langoliers once a month. I'm not mad about it. I could honestly talk about it forever. We talk about the Langoliers until we get it perfect. It'll never happen. Uh, yeah, let's do the Langoliers. I'm into it. Fuck it, Langoliers. Yeah. Hey, Langoliers! <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Um, for this, this long-ass pod. Yeah, this is a very long one. Uh, like... Comment, subscribe. I don't know if you can do that on Spotify. That's what people say, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and follow us on Instagram. We're Stephen Queen's Pod. Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah, and we are. Double check and see if we have a Twitter. Uh, maybe we will. Yeah, maybe it'll be under a similar name. Ooh. Honestly, I'm gonna put some little credits at the end of this that'll repeat everything we just said, but in a nicer tone. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. So I can always put a, a Twitter handle on that. Oh, fuck yeah. If and when we get there. What if we got? What if we got TikTok? I just don't know what you think would happen. I think we'd become famous. I don't think a two-hour episode <laughs> podcast. It, I don't think it lends itself to the TikTok format these days. It's not a TikTok podcast. Okay, Do you fine. want to start a podcast about TikToks? Um, yes. I don't know that I have time. <laughs> But I could try to do that. Oh, stretch so thin. <laughs> I have all these TikToks to watch. That's, I mean, yeah, how could you possibly start defining them? No. Uh, all right, let's cut it. It's been great. All right, what do we say when we say goodbye? Have a nice day. Have a nice day. <laughs>